everybody welcome to growing with fishes podcast episode 263 hard to believe that we've had that many episodes already i feel like we just did 250 like a week ago we've had so much good content lately it's been great um, well thank you everybody for joining us this evening we have a pretty cool guest for you tonight uh, we have matthew gordon who's working on all kinds of cool sustainable technologies he's going to be talking to us about uh, this evening which i think you guys are going to find really cool uh, and then we also have marty joining us tonight as well thanks a lot for joining us marty hey how's it going everybody good to see you all thanks for joining us uh, matt yeah thanks for having me all right um we'll get to uh um oh, why is this hold on a second i have it anyways i'll fix that in a moment um well, uh, thank you, um, uh, everybody, for watching. I'm sorry, I'm having a technical issue with my computer right now. There we go. Now it's working. Um, uh, for those of you that aren't aware, uh, we have the um, virtual aquaponic cannabis class, which you can find at apmjclass.com or ap420.com. Uh, Marty and I have uh, spent a lot of time adding a lot of new content to it lately. Um, so definitely uh, be sure to check that out if you're looking for long format education you can actually use keyword apmj now through the end of the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference if you want to uh, uh, get a little bit of a discount on the class um actually forgot to open the flyer because i'm a little bit behind schedule today here we go all right and then you can check out Here's the updated schedule for the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. It's next weekend. Um, we did have Quan Con Fem from Vietnam uh, had to was not able to make it last minute. So we got Lorenzo uh, Frisella, who's going to be a really cool speaker. He did a bunch of um, uh, he did a whole study at one of the universities over there in London uh, on aquaponics versus compost versus uh, compost plus aquaponic water. And I think a lot of you soil and aquaponic growers out there are really gonna get a lot out of his talk. So uh, definitely check that out. And then Matthew Gates will be moving to 9 p.m. Uh, other than that, the schedule has stayed the same. So uh, definitely check it out. We have quite the list of, of global uh, speakers from around the world to uh, talk to you guys about aquaponic cannabis. I almost sneezed. Um, Alrighty. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, I'm Matthew. Uh, tell us a bit about yourself and a little about what you're doing. You're working on some super cool sustainable technologies for farms. And uh, when you told me about it, I thought you'd be a great guest for the show. So thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, tell us a bit about some of the awesome work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate you having me. Um, it's It's been interesting because it's been quite the uh, uh, going down the rabbit hole. Uh, a little bit of my background. Uh, I'm uh, actually a call professional in the PGA for uh, 17 to 18 years, um, left that and uh, went into risk management and asset protection. So doing uh, insurance and retirements and things like that, uh, property and casualty. And uh, about five years ago, a friend of mine, uh, she was a child speech pathologist for uh, young middle school age kids. She developed breast cancer at the age of 30. 
And so I helped her with her insurance and get things squared away and set. And through the months of helping her and recover and go through, um, uh, we were sitting there at lunch and one day, and I said, well, you know, what's prognosis? She said, well, everything's good. And she said, uh, I said, well, what, what do you need to do? She said, well, the doctors say it's organic and non-GMO. And I said, well, that's good, right? Four kids and big grocery bills. And I always knew, you know, that was a little bit more expensive. And she said, yeah, if it wasn't three or four times more expensive. And so I said, gosh, you know, that, that seems a little obtrusive. So started doing research and getting set and saying, you know, why is it more expensive? You know, why is it more costly? And uh, so kind of went down that rabbit hole and figured out uh, long and short was it comes down to risk. When you're organic and non-GMO, you're using you know less pesticides, less herbicides, not none, but less. And so you're at a higher degree of risk of possible loss of your crop. And if that happens, you know, you're justified in charging more at the base and the setting or through that process. And so when it still hits us through the uh, supply chain, you know, it's three to four times more expensive than something that's a uh, standard crop grown. And so I looked at different options and, and things to say, well, you know, how do you mitigate that exposure risk? How can you make something better? Uh, and so I worked and found different things. I went through a farm tech, their CEA certification program, uh, delve into different uh, growing systems, put them together, had them set, had my farm operating, <laughs> open a restaurant, was supplying my own scenario, and then said, well, there's something missing, you know, it can be better, it can be better, it can be better. Uh, and no one had the things that, that I needed to make it better. And so I was able to kind of modify and adjust uh, the the system to say, well, if I can control the water supply and the heat in the air and the power supply and the nutrients and everything else, I took all that risk factor out of it, uh, then I can actually get it down to the same, if not less than conventional farming and have a you know better product or, or, a, or a healthier product um, and that ends up being like clockwork because it becomes math at that point. You know, so controlled environment agriculture, uh, is 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 a wonderful program, but there's still uh, some nuances to it. You know the 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 power consumption. Uh, you know the cost factor of that. You know space. So I was able to uh, work on set and and develop and actually have patented and re just received this past August a patent for uh, you know aquaponic apparatus uh, where we utilize atmospheric water generation. Um, biogas digestion, uh, aquaponic growth through to the system, uh, remote monitoring, uh, controlled environment agriculture, uh, hydroelectric turbines throughout the system to capture every little tiny bit of energy that you possibly can, uh, even through to packaging and supply and storing through, um, you know, freeze drying and, and packaging for 25 year shelf life. So it's a complete closed loop system you know, that allows for uh, a waste of nothing and, um, you know, the benefits uh, in these food deserts uh, is, is phenomenal. Uh, and because it's a process that's patented, it can fit into a, a shelf-like unit, a closet, uh, a room, uh, a container, you know, a warehouse or a skyscraper. It's all math at that point. Um, so we've been able to apply this to different market segments, 
um, you know, the different things I've grown, uh, everything from wine grapes to avocado to, um, you know, any type of leafy green, microgreen, fruiting crops and such that you have. And, and the different areas that we hit are, you know, the CEA divisions that we have are, you know, CEA vineyards and CEA breweries and CEA hemp and CEA pods you know, to develop them, CEA pharmacy. <laughs> kind of a play on that because of the you know the medicinal benefits uh, of of just regular herbs that can be applied so the process I think is, is something that has been um, you know a wonderful kind of trail to go down and we've discovered you know good and bad things about it uh, and so I can I see how it can be applied and and hoping that we can learn how to apply this better into you know cannabis production um, because it's it's something that uh, uh, I think it just makes sense, uh, and and we figured out some of the nuances of of how to make it affordable, um, and because you, you've got so many of these components of this system that end up being um, you know standalone and kind of together, uh, you know the atmospheric water generators generate more water than we uh, can consume and so when they're generating more we uh, we bottle that water and we package it and I bottle it and I package it in a biodegradable and compostable water bottle uh, so then when it hits the ground it's gone in uh, a year instead of 9,000. Um, you know we we look at uh, you know different type of species that grows through the the aquaculture aspect of it with prawn and jumbo Australian red claw uh, and oysters, uh, which are great in mussels, uh, which are phenomenal because of the filtration aspect of it. Um, yeah, so it, there's there's nothing that you can't grow uh, once you figure out the math aspect of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I have separate systems that I do the fodder, you know, I grow the fodder and the barley, you know, that goes through that ends up uh, feeding my ducks and my chickens and everything else you know they used to have on the farm and that ends up you know every two weeks I've got about 200 gallons of ale left over which I've got friends that have breweries that end up there's the fodder right there that that ended up taking that and we play with it to make different uh, you know home brews so water made from the air fodder that feeds you know our animals the byproduct then is used for uh, production of, of, of an ale. Um, again, nothing goes to waste. Uh, and the beauty of it is the same thing with the food scraps, the waste that goes in to make the biogas for electricity consumption. The byproducts of the nutrient-rich slurry that feeds everything. Uh, there are nuances, but it's kind of neat because they get paid to take the refuse that then creates the electricity uh, to then run the operation. So you've created different income streams, you create different products, nothing goes to waste, the extra uh, slurry that comes out, if there's not being consumed all by your plants and by your aquaculture, uh, you dilute it with the water that's being made atmospherically, uh, and then you can bottle and sell it as a, a organic fertilizer used for you know home or commercial gardening. So nothing goes to waste, you know, it's all connected and goes through. Um, and so the, the goal was for this to, to develop this system, put it in place for home use, institutional use, disaster relief, um, really just be there uh, as a uh, product 
or a process that uh, can help a variety of different people. So, uh, it's been enjoyable. I've met a lot of neat people, been able to, to, to look at different projects, but, uh, you know, looking and putting into larger, you know, application and, and larger scale here in the near future. So tell us a little bit more about these biodigesters that you're working with, because a lot of people aren't familiar with the concept and what all they can do. Certainly. I mean, you take, um, again, food scraps or waste, um, animal uh, waste, uh, human waste, you know, if they're in separate systems that are put in, it breaks it down. Um, uh, anaerobic uh, digesters, there's, uh, there's different types and ways and mechanisms of, of breaking down, but basically everything breaks down and creates a methane. That methane gas then comes through and can be turned in, transferred into a uh, you know, that biogas uh, into uh, gas that's used for heating or power consumption, if you look at a BTU standpoint, or transferred directly over into or compressed into electric and generation that then can be used for other, you know, lighting and that sort of thing. So um, everything breaks down, everything decomposes, and it creates this gas. And gas can then be transferred into, you know, heat or electricity. Um, and then the, the byproduct of that is uh, a nutrient-rich slurry. And that nutrient-rich slurry can be used for a variety of different things. If it's anything with waste, animal waste, or human waste, or anything like that, it can't be used on anything, obviously, that's edible or consumed. You know, so it's going to be used on something more ornamental or, or sod or something like that. I mean, something that... Uh, you know, it's going to still benefit the environment and, you know, if, if it's, you know, native species of plants in a certain area and erosion sediment control, and it can be used for something of, of that nature. Uh, if it's in uh, food status or vegetables or things like that, that, that typically are just thrown out, thrown away, because when things expire, they've got to be tossed. Um, so we take those, we get paid to take those and we put them in, we break them down, it creates gas. We capture that, we turn it into heat and electricity, uh, which runs the operation and the byproducts of nutrient-rich, and we turn that into, uh, you know, electricity and, and power and, uh, and food crop, you know, that covers, you know, microgreens and salad blends, fruits and vegetables, uh, wine grapes, whatever it needs to be, uh, we, you know, we capture that. And they can be small units, they can be medium-sized, they can be large units. We had a question from Chad, is that, is that using methane from the microbes or how does that work? Once the breakdown happens um, within, within that system, uh, it, is a, it is a methane uh, gas that comes out of there that's captured, that's then uh, turned directly into and filtered into uh, uh, whether it's a heating system uh, or into uh, there's ways it can take generators and turn them into a tri-fuel uh, it'll take a, a form of the LP or that methane the LP gas and create electricity uh, there are some systems they're wicked expensive right now that you can take the uh, methane and and uh, super freeze and turn it into a, a liquid form that can be used and transportable and that's going to be something that's going to be coming down the road you know in the next decade or so uh, you know as far as utilization of that but it is just a methane 
So what type of nutrient profiles do you get from the slurry and how long does it take to go from input material to, you know, a nutrients that are plant usable? Well, as far as the time frame of how long it takes to get something in to out, um, it depends on the, uh, the, the system design. Um, you know, you can literally design a, a home biogas unit using a, a IBC container, you know, and, and, and cut and set with the right piping and, and flows in and out and capturing and make sure it's sealed. Uh, and depending on how much you put in um, that volume, uh, you're looking at probably uh, 30 to 60 days, at least 30 days, 45 days of putting in that, that uh, uh, refuse that then creates, you know, anything as far as, you know, something that could be accountable, you know, and utilized. Um, Home biogas has been a, a very interesting evolution of systems uh, that's readily available to people uh, on a on a on a you know online purchase basis. Uh, they've done very well with it. And again, you're about a thirty to forty five day period, uh, and you're limited to probably uh, you know five to ten gallons worth of of waste going in, and within thirty to fifty. 30, 45 days, you're actually going to get something out of it as far as output, um, the equivalent of, of probably two to three hours worth of uh, gas production, you know, out of that. Uh, and so it, it's all scalable. It's all math. Puxin is a big uh, developer and player in that, which was uh, uh, one of the first companies that I worked with um, as far as the design aspect of it because they've got that small medium and large kind of home package kit um and then uh uh Taiwan, uh they're they're again chinese manufacturers have done a great job with it they've done um extensive research on on what goes in what comes out you know the volumes of that but um it, you, you just have to be careful because what you put in you may or may not be able to use on the way out. Uh, you know, if it's something with, uh, uh, you know, like an animal waste, you know, you can't use it on the, you know, the food crops and setting where as if it's a food scrapper waste, uh, you know, you, you can use the, the second product coming out. Well, I think you, you could do it if it was some other fish waste, but it would be rough to do it with anything else for food safety issues. Although um, we, you know, especially with a lot of the work with lactobacillus and some of the others, I think you might be able to pull it off in a, in a you know, food safe manner. I know that uh, there's a lot of research going forward uh, um, in the lactobacillus safety realm for aquaponics. I think in a couple of years, it'll be required uh, for food safety. And I think that it also translate over to food safety in other parts of hydroponics. Yeah, and I think the separations could be, you know, in a organic waste or, or you know, vegetables or things of that nature are going to be an easier pass of what you're going to be able to get from that and go through as far as it not being in a, in a scenario of carrying, uh, you know, disease and setting. I mean, that was the huge issue, um, you know, in the 80s with using meats and scraps and such and creating food and feedstock, which then ended up being, you know, one of the, the contributors to mad cow disease, you know, something uh, of that nature. So I think, um, you know, it'll never be 
uh, taking everything and anything and putting it in, it, it would be segmented and say, all right, you know, vegetables or fruits, waste or things like that can be broken down and used. And then those nutrients could be fed to everything, uh, but not on a, on a, you know, meat refuse aspect. I was kind of curious, would prions survive that type of, you know, anaerobic environment that kind of goes, you know, in the beginning kind of acidic and then turns to more of an alkaline as it goes on. It's kind of a pretty extreme, but I'm wonder, I wonder if they would survive that or not. That's an interesting question. Yeah, not sure. I mean, it depends on what what they're exposed to in the setting of treatment, um, you know, and, and how much uh, uh, oxygen's introduced and churning's introduced and setting and what's, you know, what's the filtration process, if any, going through. I mean, it's, there's so many variables, but uh, I know from a simple aspect of the if and then, uh, yeah, you can break down a, a, a fruit and a vegetable with that organic aspect, more so the vegetable, the fruit, right? the acidity, acidity comes in. But, you know, the vegetables that can go through and break down, that was always my thing. I was like, gosh, you know, we have hurricanes and things that wipe out crops that are just devastating going through and they rot in the fields where you can gather all that up, put it into the digester, and it creates at least the, the gas that can be used for hot water heating and sanitation or, you know, a uh, radiant type heating, you know, with hot water or something. There's always a way to capture, you know, some of that uh, decaying aspect of, of something that's lost, you know, if it can't be monetized. Yeah, are you familiar, uh, the other method that I've seen that works well, oops, not the wrong button here, hold on. Um, uh, just for meat fermenting, um, if you aren't familiar, there's FAA, fish amino acid, um, weighing out equal parts meat and sugar and locking it out and then inoculating it with a little bit of indigenous microorganisms uh, from like a good fungal collection uh, works pretty well. Uh, but it takes about six months uh, to break mm -hmm. down or more. Yeah, not familiar with that. But again, the beauty of what we're doing with every aspect of, of this is that it's all uh, math and numbers. Uh, so uh, it's kind of uh, with crops that I grow, people say, what are you growing? And I said, well, nothing. And they say, what do you mean nothing? And I said, well, I don't have an order. I mean, I don't have an order. So, well, when somebody orders something, then I plant it, I grow it, and I deliver it because then it keeps costs under control and setting and, you know, does that. So it's the same thing in that scenario of the process and going through with adding the, the sugars to break down and going through if that's part of the process, if that's part of the breakdown, you're going to capture that as it's being broken down to then turn that into some sort of commodity, whether it be uh, gas or electricity or energy or the slurry that comes out of it can be used for something else. You just time it and, and run the numbers on, okay, well, you know, it's fine if it takes six months or eight months for us to do. It's just, just part of that process. It's kind of like, you know, hate to correlate it this way, but kind of like, you know, uh, aging uh, wine, you know, uh, you know, it takes time, you know, uh, so uh, yeah, any, there, there's nothing that's out of bounds because even that small portion could be part of the overall system or process, uh, but not the mainstay. And, and that's what I like about this is that, you know, this is ever evolving that this is, oh, well, this is good. Well, this is good. Well, this is good. Well, this works. 
and it's not the whole thing, but it's part of that process going down that line. So, uh, you know, you're constantly, constantly learning and adapting to it. So what, um, what are one of these, you know, say someone wants to get set up one of these types of systems for their greenhouse facility or, or something like that. What are they looking at as far as entry level cost for say like a hundred by 30 or, you know, or per hundred by 30 um, uh, greenhouse space? Well, that's a tough one because it depends on the, you know, uh, volume of water in the setting. Let's say if they had nothing, uh, weren't, weren't, didn't have anything going through. Um, and equipment and setting tanks, you know, what type of aquaculture they wanted, what type of growing mechanisms, what cropped, you know, or doing Dutch bucket or, you know, doing, uh, you know, troughs or the NFT or deep water culture, um, you know, that varies. Uh, what I always kind of look at is uh, uh, a standard uh, type setup for, let's say, you know, a shipping container, which was one of the original designs for something like this. I mean, that's small. It's an 840. Uh, you know, it's so a 320 square foot, still is about a three acres worth of production a year. Um, we're looking at about a 46 to $48,000, you know, turnkey scenario. Um, in a uh, greenhouse or something that's uh, open and setting and has room to maneuver, uh, you can get kind of creative. Um, and, and you don't have to go big wig commercial farm tech everything you know to the hilt um you know you can you can manufacture a lot of things on your own you know and, and make it work very very well and efficiently and effectively um you know you can you can really you know do a retrofit put everything in place and and still be in a in a 30 to thirty-five thousand dollar range if you have an existing greenhouse and everything's there and you just want to add these components to it for the efficiency uh, and the uh, energy savings and the water production and the savings on that, um, you can you can really really you know finagle a lot of things, um, and, and that brings me to the to the risk management side, which is uh, what you're spending in those improvements to go ahead and make sure that everything is being supplied and happens, you know, pays dividends. Uh, what you're looking at and uh, then also having other income streams coming in uh, as things are growing, you know, is substantial. Uh, the atmospheric water generators produce more than you consume, especially aquaponically, hydroponically, however you're, you're utilizing them. Uh, so, you know, that creates another income stream. Uh, you know, the biogas digester, because of the nutrients that come out, you end up with typically more slurry that you can can use or utilize. You can dilute that with the water. And then again, same thing, you know, have another income stream. So uh, it's it, it's you can work with it for what you're trying to do, the market that you're in, you know, who your clientele is and what you're trying to uh, provide, you know, to them. Um, so, um, what are you know? What's the kind of the physical size of a setup that someone would need for even kind of a, a smaller? Um, say they just had a maybe want to keep a nursery through the winter or something. Um, what's the physical footprint of something like that look like? 
You can do it small. Uh, I think one of the pictures you had up there was one of the greenhouses. The first greenhouse I had at my old house, um, uh, which was a 20 by 28 uh, Gothic uh, setup greenhouse where I kind of elevated it going through. And then I had a, a 10 by 12 grow room. Um, you, you can really uh, condense this down um, and, and uh, you can do it. Uh, you could literally condense this down almost into a uh, uh, a room basis. You know, you you could get this all set up and running and operating in a you know in a, in an eight by ten, a ten by ten type scenario. Um, you know, this is a you know that's a that's a twenty by twenty eight uh, that I did there. That's the FarmTech HydroCycle three uh, system. Um, you know, great system modified it substantially and repeatedly <laughs> to to do uh white tarps represent uh, nor'easters that rip us apart <laughs> at the beach um but you know and to me like those are peppers and avocados and strawberries there and in the the dutch bucket system going through um you know uh, i love greenhouses and i hate them at the same time uh, because I can't control uh, the heat, uh, the temperature, the air, you know, water gets in, all these things happen. I, I just, you can put it in a container, you know, that was a greenhouse that I was in retrofitting and fi fixing up and doing through that was, uh, you know, it's a hundred foot long uh, segue, uh, four sections of it. Uh, they were awesome, but again, you know, working on one, working on the other, nor'easter comes through, rips us all apart. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, you're back to square one. So uh, to me, having a, a more of a, of a, of a structure or building, um, you know, steel building that's enclosed. Uh, one of my designs and settings with here's on Maryland's Eastern shore uh, or the, you know, poultry capital of the world, basically, uh, you know, Purdue here, Mount Air and that sort of thing. And so we've got about 4,600 um, vacant or abandoned uh, poultry houses that don't meet the specifications of the large juggernaut homes that, that to raise, you know, the, the chickens in and get that set for the, for the growers. And so part of the, the concept design is saying, you know, utilize those where they're on homes of family farms of people say, listen, you got these homes, these houses, they're 400 feet long, they're, they're 40 feet wide. You got a set, we can come in, uh, encapsulate it, go through, you've already got the watering system, you got a feed system, you got everything that's in there. And now, you know, we can take this turn into some type of crop, a long-term crop, a setting of fruiting, and then you can be the eyes on the ground and you can make this income and, and you can go ahead and, and be part of this as a co-op and you're the Joneses and down the street, the Smiths are in the same thing. And, you know, you're going to grow apples, they're going to grow oranges. And down the, down, down the street, they're going to grow peaches. And you're going to grow strawberries. So you can kind of create this, this uh, market in this environment where there is none. And then uh, utilize these unused structures that are designed for ag, uh, you know, designed for watering, designed for airflow. Uh, and then, you know, create something and bring people in and build an economy where there is anything, but then provide income to those who would otherwise lose it. 
uh, you know, that's a nice theory and notion, but <laughs> you know, everything, everything takes time or everything takes money. You either have more time, you have more money, you know, so pick one. Um, but those are things that can be done with this. Those are things that when people look at it and say, wow, that makes sense, then you can apply this to it. Uh, and my overall goal is to um, show people how to use this uh, process, uh, teach them how to use it, coach them, help them monitor it, and then you know, grow their business off of what they're doing. Uh, as opposed to, you know, trying to grow everything yourself and selling it, that, that doesn't make good sense. Uh, it makes better sense to, uh, you know, empower people with the knowledge to then, uh, you know, advance their goals, you know, and their dreams. Uh, absolutely. And um, uh, we had, um, uh, as far as the, um, yeah, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, I had a whole uh, a whole thing I was going to interject on and uh, lost it. Um, I was going to ask you about the crayfish. You have quite a few interesting crayfish pictures here with the blue uh, crayfish and some of the others. Mm -hmm. um, you would tell us a little bit about some of your work with invertebrates because not a lot of people have done invertebrates with plants. Yeah, the Jumbo Australian Red Claw uh, have been very successful. Um, aside from the fact that they're Houdinis, <laughs> they like to get out. Um, they're great. Uh, and then uh, with the prawn, um, so I've, I've used the Jumbo Australian Red Claw that are in there, uh, and I monitor and get them set, uh, and they, they breed, they're prolific. Um, then I separate the, the females into a separate tank. They drop, bring them out, go through, and then once they get of age, I you know, move the juveniles over and set um, and kind of start it that way. And then the prawn, uh, kind of coexist with them, which then keep uh, the red claws, uh, you know, clean and free of debris and the algae and such. The prawns are great at keeping the algae down in the entire system. Um, and I've worked, I've played with putting them in the uh, deep water rafts so that they're actually uh, cleaning the roots themselves in smaller systems uh, or keeping them separate so that they can capture it as it's flowing through. Uh, but now they've done they've done really well. I've been very pleased with them, very surprised. Um, and it really comes down to that that slurry that they get from that food stock. Everyone seems to eat well. Everyone seems to be very happy. Uh, they don't get cannibalistic, which they can do, uh, which is runs a risk. Uh, but you, as they as they do uh, are impregnated, get set, the eggs come in and they're moving and they kind of go from a you know, you see them, they're underneath their orange color and they're moving and they get to a brown color. You got to move them out into a separate, you know, hatchery um, once they drop and go through. So um, the, my favorite thing is that they, they can get to be about a pound, pound and a half piece uh, with enough space. Space is difficult, but I do it vertically uh, into trays and, and kind of connect everything through with, believe it or not, uh, 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 containers that are designed for dog food, believe it or not. Um, and then I drill through and get them set uh, to give them the water flow and the nutrients and setting because once they get so old, they need their space because they get kind of ticketed a little bit with everything around them. Uh, it's the same thing as, as crabs. And of course, you know, we've got all the blue crabs and setting here. They've got to have their own space. 
but the prawns and the, and the red claws, they live beautifully and symbiotically. Um, prawns clean the red claw, but I mean, it was, I don't know, six, five, six years ago, uh, red claws getting about pound, pound and a half a piece. They were being sold for about 30 bucks a piece up to the restaurants in New York, shipped up fresh live. Now, you know, those days aren't around anymore, but um, it's got the, uh, uh, you know, flavor of lobster with the texture of a filet. So you kind of can't go wrong there, especially since they're also clean in the water, you know, that goes through plants. Uh, what type of nutrient profile are you seeing with you know, coming out of your biodigesters? Uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about more on, on the nutrient profile of that? I don't have the full profile. Uh, I, I, we talked about that earlier and stuff, and I went through and looked at, at some of the things that I'd had before, and, and uh, you know, I'm missing some of that information. I can get you more of that information, but um, it uh, uh, that is honestly one of those things that I'm I'm uh, not as well versed on as I should be because literally it's uh, uh, scraps in. Uh, it creates it. I take the power. It goes in. They eat. They survive. I'm like, sweet. It worked. Okay. So that, that was part of the trial and error scenario. Um, and that's on on the, the smaller scale uh, scenario. But the uh, uh, I don't know the exact breakdown uh, of, of what's coming out, uh, you know, other than uh, so I told my ex-wife, I haven't killed the kids yet, so I must be doing something right. What um, uh, what challenges have you run into in your development? Any issues with the shrimp or any other things that maybe was unexpected that you uh, you hit along the way that you had to kind of figure out? Um, a lot of it's uh, space issues, uh, flow issues, uh, the sequence or the segment, like where do you put things? How do they go in? Um uh, I've been fortunate because, you know, we, dealing with freshwater and, and, and not a high oxygenation um, uh, need-based, uh, you know, aquaculture, I've enjoyed that because, you know, if the power goes out, I don't lose everything. Um, if it gets a little cold, I don't lose everything. Uh, it, you know, so I've, I've been very fortunate with that in figuring that it's like, okay, well, they're really quite hardy. Um, uh, what I figured out is that, you know, they do need, uh, you know, those little shelters, interesting, those pictures of those, those, you know, PVC tubes, you know, that are put together and zip tied and stacked in, they need their own individual space and setting as far as that goes to be safe and calm and comfortable. So you're building a lot of these little honeycombs, if you would, for them to go in. Um, but no, I've been, in a shallow tank of 14 or 16 inches, um, I always make sure that in the center of them, I've got milk crates uh, so that if the power goes out and they're not getting the airflow or the water, they literally climb up on the crates, they breathe, and they jump back in the water. So it's a lot better than a salmon that you end up uh, with a, you know, liquid oxygen not working, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything's gone. One of the interesting things of integration into the system has been with um, both oysters and, and mussels uh, because the, the filtration 
aspect of that has been phenomenal and the growth rate's been been huge uh so just got a a new newer setup that integrating um some of those in so we're going to be interested uh uh, some of my friends at uh, some local oyster house were like, well, how do they taste? And I said, well, you're going to find out in about three months. So, uh, and again, you can control a market, create a market where there is none. They're constantly growing, whereas supposed to going dormant or out of season, uh, they're in cages and setting. And you've got the ebb and flow going through, building up the shell basis. And then you can kind of control uh, you know, what they're consuming, which is fruits and vegetable scraps filtered as before they go through to the uh, leafy greens uh, and everything growing. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what their, their flavor profile is going to be. Um, what type of pest control are you using, uh, if, you know, with uh, the biodigestion in mind with the, the plants that you're growing? So um, interesting, I used to own a pest control company and and when i got it i, I switched everything over to a, a botanical based uh a pest control and so uh, there's an iec2 uh liquid uh concentrate that goes through that's to be mixed for herbicide uh, used and so using that for misting and setting and spraying um that's been extremely effective uh, there's a granular-based formula that's a, a chumming up of uh, uh, corn cob and setting in peppermint, different uh, uh, oils, um, and they're spread around the grow area, sometimes like in the Dutch buckets on top. I did that effectively when I was growing hops out in Ohio for a group for indoor hop production, uh, which then kept it on top to keep everything away uh, and didn't leach down into the uh root system because it was a topical kind of application the aroma kind of kept everything through so um so far i've been very uh you know fortunate having that uh and for fun um you know i do order uh ladybugs from time to time to put them in there uh because the kids like to see them fluttering around uh the <laughs> the growth space and that helps with aphids and things like that from a natural aspect yeah, I, um, uh, have you found any other, is there any other beneficial insects that you like to use? Uh, I know Marty and I are big fans of rove beetles and aureus. Now, I've been, again, pretty fortunate. And and what I've been also doing is from the crop standpoint, it's been short-term based crops. So it's nothing that's that's in a long-term basis because it's so segmented and quick um, and everything's pretty clean that, that I get little to no infiltration uh with with things um and again those those organic based uh uh, uh treatments uh and those solutions um really keep a lot of those things away uh and it's food safe because there's only an element in those that that attacks uh a a chemical that's found only in invertebrates of octopamine and and we don't have that and so you can literally mist it and spray it on all of your food crops and have it set. Uh, same thing in the granulars. You can throw it down and put your blanket down and have a picnic and do whatever. It's not going to affect you or the dog or anybody else. And so, you know, comfortable and, and happy and controlled with that, that that's going to kill anything that's not supposed to be there, but safe for us, you know, to, to utilize or even consume.
Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to read up on that. It's not something I'm familiar with. I'll have to look into that. Again, uh, I'm not sure on on which products would be whitelisted for for cannabis. I'd have to do a little more right. research. But, uh, right. Definitely uh, something for for your veggies and whatever else. Um, uh, is there any other? Uh, so you're talking about how uh, uh, you know these really are kind of fully um, uh, off-grid systems that provide you know both the power and the nutrients that you need. Um, what's kind of the power outputs? You know, based off of square footage, is there any kind of scaling or any kind of you know way that people can kind of wrap their heads around this if they're looking at possibly trying to go that direction? Um, and that's a, again a very hard thing because it depends on what they're growing, where they are, you know, uh, demands. Um, I even go so far as to recommend different types of construction methods as opposed to greenhouses saying, you know, you can use a, uh, you know, panelized system where it's concrete board, expanded polystyrene, concrete board construction, you know, after it's 11 and a half inches thick, your R value is 50, there's no thermal exchange. And you can use that to create your footprint of your growing scenario. So your light, your setting, everything else is there. And now it's a lot easier to control heat, temperature, airflow, setting, and, and do it. So it comes down to construction. It comes down to the product that you're looking to, to grow, it, it, your region, you know, where you're located, what your access is to all these different things. So I, I wish there was a better answer, uh, but it's just not cookie cutter. Um, unfortunately, um, but, uh, you know, to me, uh, you can, you can integrate some of the, the things with the full process and say, well, you know, it's kind of an a la carte scenario. Well, I've got all this covered, but I really need this. Well, you know, this is going well, but boy, that would be helpful. You know, oh, well, but, oh, we, well, I need two of those things, not four of those things. So, um that that's the idea of it being kind of malleable you know that way um so it's it, you know if you you go through the the atmospheric water generators that i do that i distribute through is uh through source uh which is based in scottsdale arizona uh and they've uh, developed a beautiful beautiful product <laughs> Yeah, I was just reading. It looks like cannabis has some similar compounds to uh, the one that you're referring to. I guess he had a a phone call or something. It looks like his screen went off or uh, something happened there. Um, but uh, we'll look more into that again. Uh, I'm not sure on the on the cannabis testing as far as um, compatibility on that. I don't want to say one way or the other yet. Uh, without knowing more about it, it's something I'm not familiar with. Um, just in case anyone's curious. Um, okay. What is this? Okay, well, uh, we'll figure it out. Um, not sure what happened with him. It looks like uh, Fumador has just joined us. Um, Hopefully, uh, Michael will be joining us again. Uh, what's up, Fumi? Um, for those of you who are curious, Michael works with Legacy Aquaponics. They've been developing uh, these biodigester systems that also provide power, which I think will be really good for off-grid systems long-term. 
uh, had a chance to talk to him about the tech and, and uh, thought it was pretty nifty. So we wanted to get him on the show uh, just in case he doesn't come back. Uh, you can check him out at um, uh, Legacy Farms, uh, Legacy Aquaponics. There we go. Legacy Farming Labs uh, or Legacy Aquaponics uh, on Facebook. They'll have his website up here soon. But they have, a, a again, a pretty cool uh, uh, program that they're working on. What's up, Fumi? How's it going? Uh, looks like I missed the show, man. I have bad timing. What are you going to do? It's okay. We uh, He was an East Coaster, and we had a, a bunch of juggling with guests. Our original guest for today had to reschedule, so we uh, were able to get a really cool guest in and, and place right of him. So uh, we, we started a little bit early with him being awesome. an East Coast guest just to try and make it more convenient. So talked about that with uh, with uh, guests for my show, you know, like we've, we've talked about getting Mila back on the show. A few other people like it's super awkward to talk to people like, you know, that they're in Europe or whatever. Like, yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah, we just had that um, for, for my conference. We had to swap around. Originally, we had the guy from Vietnam scheduled at nine. Uh, and then I had to replace him with a guy from London. So trying to figure out who I could swap around with, like basically like opposite time zone on the planet. Like, <laughs> right. Uh, took a little bit of juggling, but we got the schedule all sorted out. So we'll have uh, some some cool stuff. So what's new with you, man? How are you doing? Oh, doing all right, man. Uh, what can I tell you? Uh, I guess uh, Garden's plugging along. What can I tell you? And uh, I don't know, I've been trying to figure out, like I had some glitches on my website and suddenly I basically like, banged enough sticks and rocks together again that they uh, unglitched so that's that's a nice thing and uh, i don't know it's a, it's a good feeling like when you can't figure out why there's a problem then suddenly like even if you don't know why the problem existed at least it goes away it'd be better if i understood it but what are you gonna do other than that man i don't know plugging along well, once you got a good healthy soil and all the rest that's right. kind of sometimes fixes itself you know that too man the the you know i've told people i've had spider mites for you know a few months now and looks like they're gone you know what i mean i had to pretty much do like well the organic version of thermonuclear nuclear war which involved like time and patience and all kinds of assaults of you know uh, natural pesticides like uh, 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 essential oils and stuff in my case and i don't know time more time uh, i literally did like saint bernard's told me to actually squish some bugs so i actually did that just it, it was more therapeutic than anything you know you'd see the little fuckers and you're like all right you're just you're, your ass is grass just mush them so thankfully got rid of them it was it was a nightmare, you know. Like, uh, how do I put this? Uh, a friend of mine, Cannabisian, uh, was was teasing a few people uh, uh, at his garden clubs, you know, a couple of years ago, saying that, "Oh man, you know, the the spider mites are the worst thing." And several of us laughed. We're like, "Oh man, what are you what are you talking about? Like russet mites and root aphids, whatever else. They're worse." You know what? The spider mites honestly are worse because basically they teach you how how sloppy you are on some level. You know what I mean? Because basically, like, you almost get rid of them. And then they come right back at the end and it basically shows you that you essentially didn't get rid of the problem. You know what I mean? It wasn't their fault. They're, they're mites. What do you want? They want to fucking eat the plants. Uh, so when you didn't get rid of them completely, they come back and they butt you in the ass and they basically tap you on the shoulder and say, you messed up. So that's uh, in my case, that was, I think that was the worst part of it. You know what I mean? Because like russet mites, root aphids, they're so bad that you can't help it. But like spider mites, man, it's kind of your fault. Not always, but. Um, we had uh, Jesse just poked me and uh, and reminded me uh, she just got these up today. Um, you guys can check out jellybomb.com, nice. click on collections and aquaponic cannabis. And she actually has an awesome collection of some aquaponic cannabis shirts. We got some cool different ones. Um, for this year's conference, 
We have uh, some ones up there from last year. We got nice. wow. smoking fish. We got all kinds of cool stuff up here. Um, World's dopest mom and some other good ones. Uh, you know, so get get that for your mom. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, if you're interested, you know your mama uh, likes it. Or you want to get a podcast shirt? We got them up there too. Um, but uh, I think these ones are pretty cool as well. You know, Alcapon cannabis. Anyways, that's a nice shirt. Yeah, that's a good one. Right, and we have them in men's and women's. So if you guys are uh, gals, guys, everything in between, and whatever else you uh, you'd like to be, that would make a great cutoff. That one right there, the other one, and, uh, and also the aquaponic farmer. Just for people that don't uh, don't want to rep the weed all the time. So uh, definitely check that out, and, um, and we have a, a bunch of different stuff to choose from. Um, and that just helps support the show and go towards uh, our costs and it helps Jesse out as well with all the stuff that she's doing. She helps out our community. She does a lot of merch for a lot of different breeders and stuff. So she helps everybody out. So uh, definitely check her out. Uh, we're jellybomb.com. She got a bunch of cool kids shirts too that are like borderline inappropriate. So it's also, also good for your kids to, to wear to school. Right on. Jokes that the parents laugh at, but the kids are oblivious to that, that kind of thing. Yeah, and some some yeah. that are definitely would get the attention of the uh, school board, but uh, are, are no don't definitely don't push it too far. Um, oh, how about you? Days, they say the school board like they're paying attention to like people screaming at them from the back. So I hardly think t-shirts are gonna. <laughs> they'd probably they'd probably welcome the relief like oh, a moment of zen. In Nowadays, life. you can say just about anything as long as you're wearing a mask, right? I think that's the rules. I think that's the rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about your site too? Because you've been. Uh, doing a lot of great pictures and other cool stuff with your site. Well, thank you. Uh, I hope uh, now that I feel like I've fixed on the back end some glitches, I hope to, to re revamp it a little bit, but uh, go check out, uh, I guess I can share it too, uh, fumidoro.com. Oh, uh, let's see. let me turn sharing on my bed. Oh, right on. There you go. Uh, sure. Boom, that'll work. So folks, uh, go check this out. I, I literally put it together. I uh, bred the seeds. I grew the plants. I did everything. Uh, thanks, Potent, for always shouting out, by the way. Uh, go take a look. Uh, we have a couple of coupon codes this month from uh, basically I try to name them after fun things that come up on the show or, you know, folks that are on the show. So, for example, we got the West Engine Swindle. That's a three pack of seeds. We've got uh, that's not actually a coupon code, but uh, coupon code BRAINS. For example, that's in honor of D-Zombie, 14% uh, off uh, Laser Snake. That's in honor of uh, Tommy Trichomes. Uh, what else? Uh, bikinis for Siberia. That was just a fun idea I had on the show. But anyway, use those. They're all 14% off. Uh, single packs, multiple packs. Uh, photos down here. The photos I took, but I don't actually print these. They they come from, uh, I can't think of that. It was, um, oh, shit. What is it in Brooklyn? Print, Printify or something? I can't think of it right now, but they come like super fancy and swaggy and uh, not swaggy, super What's the word I'm looking for? Fancy super pants. That's it. Super non-swaggy, pretty much. That's it. The opposite. Whatever the opposite of swaggy is, that's what it is. The anti-swag. The anti-swag. We should call it that. That would be a good t-shirt. This is the anti-swag. Oh, she says, uh, our school had a gopher infestation. They wouldn't do it. So I made a school gopher shirt and the principal sent my kid home with a different shirt. School <laughs> <laughs> did not have much of a sense of humor, in other words. Yeah, and uh, if you're looking for cool logos or anything, definitely hit up Jelly Bomb. Um, she does a ton of good work for the cannabis industry. She's also familiar with a lot of the packaging laws and all that stuff as far as you know font sizes and all that stuff. So if you need help with that stuff, definitely hit her up and, and she'll get you sorted. 
she's been doing my artwork and stuff for years and uh, is a, a definitely good uh, if you're looking for those types of things. Uh, what else is new with you and your garden, man? What do you, what do you, uh, what do you got going on? Well, you know how it is. I don't know. Like uh, these days, especially with like all the different medical rules, you almost want to keep things kind of quiet, but uh, I'm working on some fun stuff, basically uh, working on uh, a little bit of uh uh, sort of line work basically with some of the lines that I've worked uh, well I guess that's repetitive but working a little bit of line work with a couple of help from my friends basically what am I a freaking beetle now but uh, anyway a couple of friends are helping me uh, do a little bit of expanded line work so that's kind of fun uh, getting a chance to basically work on some of the stuff that I've read you know I, I was saying on the show the other day and I meant it like one of my strains Black Prince Ruby uh, if I had created the seeds like in the middle of a forest somewhere and basically just for myself, it would have been rewarding enough just having popped these now and basically go through them uh, to just see something that I wanted. I wanted more of it. And I wanted like, you know, basically like I, I wanted more of everything that I was looking at. Basically I threw it all together and I, I basically got what I was looking for on some level. So it's just been really gratifying to see that and get a chance to work on that a little bit. You know, of course now I pine for, gigantic greenhouse where i can run you know thousands of plants and on and on and on hey, what can you do right but uh in the meantime anyway i'm at least enjoying it so uh it's kind of fun you know it's fun to talk about it. it's fun to think about it um fun to fun to combine different things and then see what comes out of it you know so that's very vague i realize but it's been fun growing some things that's it, stuff. that's it <laughs> Oh, that's cool. uh sexy time for plants that's pretty much what it is it's a lot of bone oh. chicka wow wow have you um added any korean natural farming or any of the other different uh i guess more newer methodologies to your grow or you kind of had your same grow methodology that you've been sticking with for a long time and you're kind of minor tweaks but haven't changed it up is there anything that you've kind of maybe changed the last year or two that you really found and you're like man this is awesome I've simplified it as much as I possibly could. I didn't used to think that I liked that really simple method because I thought to myself like, hey man, it's it's really not all that expensive to run organics. It's not all that complex. It doesn't take all that much time in many cases. You know, you don't have to do a lot of the mixing and pre-mixing and blah, 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 blah. I had already kind of cut out the teas and everything else. And those were one of the most time consuming things because I'd have to plan them. I, I only really ever did like eight to 10 hour teas, but even still you got to plan it eight hours before you water you got to, and you got to be home you know when you come like those, when the tea's ready you got to be home and ready to to water the stuff or ready at least to water the plants you can't be somewhere else on and on it was an annoying thing and just simplifying all those things out of my life i thought hey this is actually so fun why don't i keep doing it and then for example coot uh, kept regularly coming on the show a few other people came, came on the show and basically, uh, I have to be honest, uh, uh, hearing everybody talk about fermenting this, fermenting that, on and on, it was a little bit like when I've heard salt growers talk, you know, and I always try to hear, I always try to listen to basically every different methodology because I always think e either I can get something from it or I can bounce an idea of my own off of that and either clarify or whatever, distill or whatever, some kind of idea off that. And weirdly enough, I basically come to this conclusion that I just wanted to simplify as much as I possibly could. So I didn't use any ferments. I didn't use anything. And so I've been using like just almost a, how do I put this? A, a very similar to coot method, basically, where I'm basically just top dressing some barley, doing a little bit of worm compost and you know, throwing some aloe on there and just basically water. And uh, the plants are 
rewarding me for it. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, in the past, there were certain things that I could accomplish by doing this or certain things that I could accomplish by doing that. But that was always at the cost of, you know, time and anything else. So it's been, I don't know, maybe it's just my priorities for this year, but it's been really interesting to just completely simplify everything. And I can tell you it's made like breeding easy because I don't have to think about what different phenotypes want or different strains. They all just pretty much get the same thing and they all seem to like it. So it's, I don't know, in the future, I, I do always like to evolve. So in the future, I probably will integrate a lot more um, uh, biologicals, a lot more, well, a lot more fermented uh, biologicals. You know what I mean? Because it is intriguing, but for the moment, I'm actually enjoying, like I used to use EM1 and everything else, cut all of that out. So I don't know. Simplicity. I don't know. Maybe it's uh, this is Zen of gardening or something. I don't know. Well, that's interesting. So, so what? So you just do a coots mix, or what is your grow method? That's a good question because I don't think I've ever heard. It's kind of a modified coots mix, I guess you could say. I mean, the coots mix is uh, I like it. I liked it a long time ago for its simplicity and the kind of homage to the. At least I thought it was kind of the Greeks, like the one third, one third, the magic thirds, you know, uh, or uh, the golden thirds, I guess. Uh, so basically, um, I can't say that I did the complete uh, uh, ratio uh, like he did. I, I wasn't honestly super specific about how much. Uh, Let's see here, rock dust or anything else I put into the mix because I figured over time I could always add more. What's up, Spartan? Uh, and that's essentially what I do. So anytime that I have seen any kind of uh, lagging deficiency or maybe a couple runs, maybe they were a little bit, uh, a little bit of chlorosis or whatever the case, red stems or something else, I would just start top dressing for the next round. And so basically, I have this kind of, I don't know, like uh, unintentional sedimentary layer. Like I, I'm, I'm not doing that like lasagna, lasagna tech that people used to do, but I just kind of deposit stuff as i go by and i let it break down i let stuff like the 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 barley it'll take like three months to, to break down so i just every every time i have a chance i just throw some barley on there and literally like the simplicity of getting it off my head and just like oh whenever i think of it i just throw some on there it removes a lot of the the difficulty of uh i don't know planning and everything else i guess again everyone's priorities are different but i guess it's it's made uh the growing part of it almost unimportant i have to be honest and so i've focused all my attention really to okay what do i want to do with strains what do i want to do with this instead of ever wondering like how many cups of such and such do i need to eat to add i don't know i'm probably being vague but basically i i uh had uh good organic soil that i added worm castings to and i had a little bit of uh you know at the time probably uh, down to earth or whatever else to it and then over time, just have added more and more and more. And as I recycle the soil, I guess, you know what? Now that I think about it, this is the less vague part of it. So I feel like one of the magics of my whole system is honestly that the soil is always kind of revolving to itself. So basically, the flower is always in the same place. and I never touched it, uh, but I basically bring plants in and out of it. So, for example, at the end of harvest, I would basically take those plants out. But I would at that time, essentially, as soon as I'm cutting down plants, I'm replacing new plants into that place that are now going to flower and i remove a little bit of the soil so it's not completely no-till i basically take like existing veg plants and put them in that flower pot and i take a little bit of that soil put it in the recycling bin and then that recycled soil takes a little bit of time i might add a little bit of worm castings or a little bit of fresh soil or whatever else and then that becomes the seedling soil so the seedlings are already inoculated in what they're going to be in flower basically and i never I never water it down or anything else. So whatever the full strength mix, uh, you know, full organic strength, I'm not putting salts or anything, but the full strength mix in the flour, that becomes the seedling mix and they're already used to it. And I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, it's not that complex of a system, you know what I mean? It's just, it, it just, it works and it feels silly to talk about some of this kind of stuff because it's simple and not simple at the same time. But I don't know. 
Oh no, it makes sense too because you know those those live microbes staying alive uh, the whole time. You know they're constantly going from plant to plant to plant, or you know plant to you know or organic uh, composting temporarily. Mm-hmm. What's up, Spartan? Thanks Good for joining us. What's up, guys? I'm fresh off of. Uh, I spent all day today, fucking up at the Capitol here in Michigan. So uh, oh, I'm charged from that and talking to all these senators. It was. I don't know. It was a pretty cool experience because it was a planned lobby day as far as for we, there's a bunch of groups here that were, you know, pro caregiver trying to help out the caregiver. And so we met all up at one of the groups, the, uh, there's actually a lobby group for the commercial side. Um, it's a, the biggest lobby group for the commercial side of cannabis here in Michigan, the Michigan, what is it? M I C I a Michigan, cannabis industry association but anyhow we all met up there and they just split us up into teams and they had lists already set up of the different targets as far as what representative they wanted you know each team to target and then they had pre had meetings already set up well of course the um, republicans here and they're the ones that are backing this bill mostly there is one democrat but the republicans pulled some bullshit and they uh moved all of the meetings or all the proceedings up in the house today up two hours when they did that they had to cancel most of all the meetings we had already planned because of the two-hour change but we still went out and uh if the rep wasn't there we were able to at least get into the office and talk to their staff who are their you know you want to talk to if you can't talk to a rep talk to their staff because those are the people that they're working with every single day and to everybody's credit everybody's credit there everybody was received us well treated us well amazingly it was as this is going to sound dumb but it was as easy as just showing up going into the the office building there there's this gigantic in michigan right across from the capitol is uh the house office building where all of the members have their offices and uh, I literally was just like starting the ninth floor and just started going door to door, just like I was a freaking salesman, just going in every office and somebody would pop their head up and can I help you? And that's start the conversation. And it was amazing to me how it's just, it's not amazing to you guys, I'm sure, but how it was just education. They just didn't fucking have a clue when it came to mm-hmm. cannabis and the laws here in Michigan. It was amazing to me. And I've been saying on my show, like most of these, these, uh, and in some cases, it's not for like bad reasons. You know, some of them are really genuinely open to whatever it is that you want to say, but they're completely and totally clueless. They're either lawyers or doctors, whatever that they used to be. And they became government officials. They don't know the first fucking thing about anything that you're interested in, you know, anything. And that's, what's actually great because when you go, go in there, I got it down to a science by the time I was done, but today, but it's like I would go in there and I would, you know, introduce myself. And I would introduce myself first as a cannabis educator. I'd be like, look, I'm a cannabis educator from here in Michigan. I do four two-hour shows a week. So I'm dedicating eight hours of my own time to this where I just talk about the cultivation of cannabis. And I just really laid it on thick. But I wanted to come from a viewpoint that I'm not here to debate. I'm not here to berate or or chastise. I'm just here to educate. Do you have any questions? I'm here for you. What are your questions when it comes to cannabis? 
let me please educate you in, in those matters. And then that would just open up dialogue and we could have a fucking conversation, man. And it was amazing. You know, and some of the ideas they had in their head were just, you know, I mean, you know, they would say, for example, one of the ones was, you know, a question was, well, how many plants would you need to grow medicine for a patient? And I said, well, <laughs> for one, you're a lawmaker and then you're fucking supposed to make laws for this. And you're asking me these basic fucking questions. <laughs> but that was in my head. I didn't say that out loud, but I was, you know, I had to educate him. I said, well, I have to ask you like a hundred questions to answer you that question. And they're like, what, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, there's thousands of strains. And I just went through the whole thing. And, you know, depending on the patient, am I, is this somebody that's, you know, has cancer and I have to make a, a, an oil, which is going to require way more plants than, you know, my grandma who wants to help, you know, with a little bit anti-inflammation and sleeping at night. That's a whole different, you know, level of, of use. So uh, I don't know. It was nice to just, I'm one of those people that I love to just talk to somebody in person because you, you just can't pick up all the subtle clues in a conversation, the nonverbals, you know, and uh, to be able to get in front of faces and humans instead of sending off an email and waiting for, you know, anything to come back. It was just a million times better to be there to talk to people and just educate them on it. It was, it was really, I don't know. That's what I do anyway. Right. That's what I, I love. I love talking about it, educating myself and educating everybody else as I, as my journey, you know, as I grow. And uh, for me to actually go into an office, for, first of all, to put on dress clothes, <laughs> for me to put on dress clothes and then go and, and go into like the most uncomfortable situation I think I could put myself in, you know what I mean? In front of a bunch of lawmakers with police and everything around, you know, if I can do that, man, anybody can do that shit, man. Once I got in there and started talking about weed, it was easy. I just had to start talking about weed and why these bills were terrible. That was fine and easy, but walking around and it was just, yeah, it was an anxious time, especially because I didn't smoke either because I didn't want to smell like smoke going in there. You know, any other time, I think it would be funny and I would love to do that. But not when I'm trying to, you know, put my best foot forward and try to convince these people. But no, I'm really not the one they're reeking of skunk. You definitely don't want to bring like Afro man and NJ weed man. Yeah, exactly, man. I didn't want to. And, you know, there, full disclosure, there was one congressperson that we did chase down the street <laughs> on foot. Yeah, but he was a sponsor of the bill. He was one of the guys on the bill. And we 100% knows he doesn't want to give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck what we have to say. He's a sponsor of the bill. He's He wants this to pass. But we want him to know that we know what his bullshit is and, and we weren't you know accusing him or anything we invited him to a dinner an informational dinner about cannabis so that he could be educated on cannabis because we felt like that just from the law that he was really missing some information and uh you know we sent him on his way and he actually thanked us for being respectful because he said he wasn't getting very many respectful uh, caregivers contacting him so that was actually encouraging to me i mean i don't want to encourage people to be you know, angry and, and lashing out towards him because that doesn't help us. They're going to use that against us. But it was more the fact that I could tell that a lot of people had contacted him. I was happy about that. It's like, good. That's what I want. I want us to keep putting the pressure on these guys. And I think that's something that that was a huge uh, issue when we were trying to go for our license in California that ended up we didn't get. But 
we ended up putting on a free class on a Saturday. It was like from noon till 3 p.m. And it was just kind of the basics about cannabis. Uh, we did a whole hour on cultivation, an hour on extraction and, and retail, and an hour on um, uh, the patients and like what, what different doses was, what's reasonable, what isn't, why people need different stuff so that they actually like understood when they're dealing with different types of people and why they need their different things. I think that's a huge aspect of it is simply having that education in a way that's accessible to them that, that you know, it can be hard. And I think that it's really good that you're doing these kind of educational dinners and things like that. I think that's a great way to try and break through that. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think was almost like a olive branch or whatever, or at least that made them comfortable was um, I always made sure, at least when we we're inviting them to these dinners, I always made sure to make that they knew that it was an invitation for the representative and up to two of their staff members. So, I mean, even if a rep couldn't, we, we made it so that even if a rep couldn't make it, they could send somebody in their stead. You know what I mean? We, we just want to get the education out there. But then I stressed also that the, you know, this is not open to the public. So then they know that they could, it's a safe space for them. They could come in with their questions. You know what I mean? Because that's what we want to do. I mean, that's the real issue above all the bullshit. The real issue is, is just ignorance. It's just the ignorance. And so if we can just, drop the egos and sit down and kill the ignorance. I think that'll get us, you know, a lot further than pitchforks and, and, and fire. I know a lot that's everybody's first go-to, but man, I'd rather just see change instead of destruction. <laughs> the other thing too, is if you're ever going down there and you have some patients that you can bring with you, especially ones that, you know, really need us to live uh, when they have to look someone like that in the eye, and explain to them, you know, why they disagree. A lot of these dudes just can't handle that. And it changes their mind or it, you know, forces them to, to have to address it and they can't just run from it. And I think that, you know, we've seen that, that happen in quite a few places. I know, uh, shoot, one of the, I've done a couple of different ones in, in Oklahoma, I've been invited to three separate churches uh, and it will go around with a nice THC or CBD cream, like a hand cream. And we ask, hey, who's got something that hurts? Before we even start talking, take a spoon, put a glob in their hand, tell them to rub it on whatever they want to rub it on. Uh, and then we have- <laughs> That's a dangerous- uh, Then we give our talk and then we have those people tell them what how, what the experience is. Don't listen to me. I have dreadlocks down on my waist. They yeah. can listen to anything I have to say <laughs> exactly. when it comes to like whether or not this is real or not. But they'll listen to the little old lady whose hands are cramping because she knits all day, right? Like that, that they'll they'll believe that. They'll listen to that. Like it's a different that's kind really of really powerful too. Because they you built the elders, man. That's 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 like exactly what you said, man. Who's going to say to a little old lady, "You're a liar"? You know what I mean? You're just trying to get high in your hands or whatever stupid comment they're going to. You're not going to say that to a little old lady. You might say that to me. You might say that to you, but you're not going to say it to a little old lady. Yeah, man, you're. Or people with seizures, you know, we, we, we both know quite a few people that have are dealing with seizures, both pediatric or otherwise that, you know, again, it, once they actually see that people like this are real, they're not, it's not about people just trying to sit around and get high. It's about people that need this to survive. And, and I think once they actually see that firsthand, a lot of these guys change their tune pretty quickly. I've seen it happen. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was another thing about today is it, it was testimony as to test testimony. That's really what moved a lot of them. And it's the human aspect when you can get there in front of a live human and you have another live human telling you something and you can tell by the nonverbals 
that they're telling you a story from their heart and it's not bullshit. It makes it makes a huge fucking difference for sure, man. Very good. You also brought up a good point this I don't know if it was this week or last week about uh, some of the sneaky shit they're doing with the bill. Do you want to talk about that, about how they're suddenly doing all kinds of sweeping changes and stuff on uh, last second and all that sort of stuff? Because I think a lot of people are unaware of that and unaware that that's even possible. Yeah, so this process was crazy. Um, I learned a lot and um, I kind of think it's the our culture. Our culture in the United States, what is it? when you know what's the old adage you don't talk about politics and you don't talk about religion so your whole life you never talk about it you never learn about it it's always a mystery and it's always very easy to keep people divided and not look into anything so that's kind of the issue i think really <laughs> about it all but what happened here so when a bill is formed or written it has to go to a committee first uh here in michigan anyway because this is um, an industry that's regulated. So it goes through the regulatory committee. What that is, is just a bunch of people that are set up and they decide whether that law is uh, good enough to be voted on uh, in either the House or the Senate. In this instance, it was the House of Michigan. So they had the regulatory meeting where they're discussing the bill. And we'd already have, we've got great activists here in Michigan. Thank you know, God for that. Um, different people and different organizations like uh, uh, Rick Thompson in uh, Michigan Normal or Jamie Lowell. Uh, and we just got all these good activists that keep on top of shit. So we hear about stuff early on, thank God. So we actually had flooded that regulatory committee. There's a there's chairs set up for viewing. You know, this is supposed to be everything's supposed to be open to public. Completely filled it. Completely filled it. They had opened up a secondary room. Uh, they called it the overflow room, and we nearly filled that one. Had over 30 people signed up to uh, want to speak for public comment. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the, whole com- the whole meeting went down. Uh, there was, it was about 100 minutes long, the meeting. And they had the, uh, the big lobby group that's behind this all, the MCMA. They had a song, dance, pony show. It was absolutely insanity. He, they had props that brought in cannabis, brought in cannabis and onto the, onto the, into the regulatory meeting blew my mind. Anyways, brought in cannabis, brought in alcohol and prescription pills and everything else. Cause he was just doing a nice song and dance show. Had people phoning in from fucking zoom and shit like that. Had big old fucking pictures and all kinds of insanity. Okay. It's getting, you know, time's ticking by, time's ticking by. We're not getting any comments in. Time's ticking by. They're bringing in all this bullshit. They give our side 15 minutes, 15 minutes to talk. I think four or five of our people got to speak of the 30 that signed up. The people. Now, this law that they're trying to change was voted in by the people. It was a ballot initiative that we ran around, got the signatures, wrote this ourselves by all, all these activists, helped to write this law. And uh, so it was voted in by the people of Michigan by over 63% majority. So it, the state can't just change that without a super majority vote. So it's going to take them a two thirds vote because of that. So you would think that the people who wrote the law would have some kind of say when they try to change it. But, you know, they gave us 15 minutes, which was ridiculous. But we did get some good testimony. And like you said, like you said, um, with uh, getting the patient, we had a patient um, 
Susan, I believe her name was Susan Fisher out of Flint. Oh my God, man. I was in tears crying like a baby. It was ridiculous, but, uh, it was really powerful testimony. It got shared all over social media. And, um, so they adjourned that meeting without a vote, whether they were going to push it to the house for a vote or not, you know, to be voted on. Then the following week they had a, uh, meeting, they had a, a meeting where they said that because of the pressure and the outcry that they changed some things. And uh, they voted on an amendum or addendum to the original language passed. And then they immediately, without taking any comments, still, like we said, we had however many still left to talk. They didn't let any of them talk. And then they voted and pushed it to the House. So I went back through and I find that they finally got updated on the page. I found the actual language. Now, while they were voting on it, they had said the plant count reduction would go from it's currently 72, that it'd be at 24. So that was the first thing I was looking at. I was like, I want to see what, you know, because that was the most egregious thing of them all. So I click and I scroll down to that part. It's already changed again down to 12, which is the absolute ridiculousness about this is, is that we have an a separate law here in Michigan that deals with just the recreational cannabis. And what that means is if you're 21 or older in Michigan and you're an adult with no felonies, you're allowed to grow 12 plants and have two and a half ounces on you. And uh, so what they're saying is, is a, as a 21 year old recreational, you're allowed to have the same amount that they want to allot to a caregiver who's supposed to take care of sick and dying patients, five of them <laughs> and himself. He's only going to have 12 plants. It's just, it doesn't even make sense with the laws that we already have on the books. It's just like, it's just absolutely insanity, but it makes me laugh because it just makes my job so much easier. Cause now when I go up there and I talk to these guys and I say, look, this is actually, this is a line that I was saying for the last probably five or six guys. I was like, look, tell me anything you can find anything in this law that you can find that you think is a positive change for the patients, any of it. I have a list here of things that I think are bad for the patients, but if you can tell me one thing that's good for it, then maybe I'm, you might be, get me to convince me that this is a good bill and not one answer, not one answer did I get from them where they could pull up something that I didn't have an answer for. You know, there's things that obviously were sold to them without them really looking into. And I just shot every single thing apart. I mean, the biggest, the most common one was, in, in fact, the name of this bill is the, cannabis safety act <laughs> and they're touting its safety because in this act it requires um, some of the caregivers to test their weed through, through the uh, metric testing but i so when they that was what was brought up they said well this is going to make um caregivers test their cannabis i'm just like for one caregivers already test their cannabis i always tested my cannabis when i was a caregiver just because we don't like report it into a metric system for you to see that doesn't mean it's not being done. So that's one thing. Secondly, right now in the state of Michigan, a patient has three options. They can grow their own cannabis or their own medicine. They can find a caregiver to grow it for them, or they can walk into any damn dispensary they want to walk into and buy tested cannabis. They already have access to tested cannabis. And guess what? They're not buying it. <laughs> they're, 
So what does that tell you as a lawmaker that the testing isn't fucking working? Because if the testing was picking out the better weed, the fucking patients would be going down there and buying it, but they're not. So that should tell you everything you need to know. And when I tell them that, it's like they had nothing. They, they had nothing to come back from that because it's just common sense. It's like, no, no, they have the ability to get tested weed. What you're doing, what this bill will do is remove the caregiver option. And all that will be left is they can grow their own or go get it. Why do you want to limit the patient's options that you're limiting access? And when you explain it to them like that, it's like, how? what's the argument against it? So it was, I don't know, it was just like playing lawyer today, just arguing back and forth. But it was, it was fun to me because I know that I was getting through. I was changing minds, you know what I mean? Or at least opening their eyes a little bit. Because some just had absolutely no clue, like zero clue, like med, on the medicinal side of things. Like they had no clue on how medicinal the plant can be or, or how you have to prepare medicine. Like they're striking out there. One of the things on this law is they strike out all the language to make any kind of an edible or uh, medicinal extract. Like the only thing you could do is a, a solventless. So you could press a flower maybe, or you could do dry sift. That would, that would be the only thing available to them. And I'm like, so many of these patients have lung issues that can't physically smoke. And you're basically limiting all options and forcing them to smoke. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard. <laughs> so I, just so many, they made it so easy for me. You know what I mean? I, I didn't want to pick apart the whole bill because I had this weird feeling in the back of my head that's like, I don't want to show all my cards kind of a thing. I don't want to say... You know, because if they change a few things and they say, oh, now this bill's okay and I can vote yes on it. I'm like, no, no, no. Here's 10 other things that are fucking wrong with this bill. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, it's interesting. I think, you know, uh, just like you're saying, the lawmakers just have no idea about the implications on the ground for patients about some of these decisions because some lobbyist that's, you know, for cookies or one of these other megacorps wants to get you know railroad their mon their uh, monopoly you know and you see this happen in states like florida or new jersey and you know shit uh, someone in chat was just saying mike tyson's brand will be in stores before private state growers from new jersey and same thing was fucked up and i i complained i actually wrote a, a letter to the legislature of georgia because i work with a hemp grower to cbd down there uh, they granted six licenses in, in georgia not one is a georgian owned company I'm oh sorry, what the fuck are you doing legalizing cannabis production and you're not going to legalize a single company from your own state and you're going to tell me it's going to create jobs from where from from out of state people <laughs> that doesn't benefit anybody in the state at all. This is complete insanity. Like That's tell me happens. any other jobs, any other interest or, or industry they legalize or are deregulate and then don't allow anyone from in state to be part participate. Like what the hell? That's how you can tell who wrote the fucking law. That was written by a legislature. I a hundred percent guarantee that wasn't no fucking voted in fucking thing that was written by a grassroots project. I can tell you that. See, in, in our law, when we went legal, there was a two year limitation. You had to be a resident of Michigan for at least two years before you could even apply for a fucking license. We're trying to stop that from the get-go. Didn't yeah. work. We got all them fucking guys here now, though. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's like that, but it's not like it's not hard to get someone to put their name on a piece of paper. It's 
you know, it's pretty easy to get that all sorted. Oh, come out. on, Oklahoma. <laughs> it's a little easier to get in Oklahoma than it is in Michigan. I would well, say you, Oklahoma. Uh, if you have the money, you can do it basically. <laughs> but you know, it does have yeah. the most number of licenses. Over seven thousand li- licensed cultivators in the state of Oklahoma. There's more than Oregon, uh, California, and Washington State combined when you're talking about legal licensures. See, that's not a market I want to be in, man. <laughs> that's not a market well, I want to be in. I think long term, though, Oklahoma being centrally located is going to be, a, you know, an exporter. It has a good climate for. It does have a good time for. Yeah. And we have late winters. You you could have grown. You in fact, we're not even going to get our first thirty-two degrees for another four or five days, and that's only thirty-two. I mean, your plants could easily handle that if you're growing outdoor. You know, yeah. so we have a long growth season here in in central and southern Oklahoma. So, um, you know, you, you can grow those longer sativas that people can't grow on the West Coast and kind of grow a different crop. I don't, I, it's one of the things I think it's the same thing with like people in the tropics, grow those longer sativas because the rest of the industry ain't growing those long flowering things and you have the climate to do it. Capitalize on that. Yeah, I really think that's going to be like the future. I don't know how much further in the future, but you're going to see like these little hotbeds of, uh, areas where they utilize that whatever climate they're in you know if they're on the equator they're going to go for those equatorial strains and really and then they'll ship worldwide you know and you're going to get that fucking it'd be back like in the olden days right when your weed was just named by the area it came from (laughs) you know what i mean what do you got i got some thai or i got some fucking hawaiian or i got some you know whatever malawi i just think that'd be great to have like can you imagine having some Durban poison that was grown in Durban? You know? I've had Durban poison grown in Durban. Did they go? How was it? <laughs> it was good. There's actually a lot of good sativas from that whole part of the world. Malawi, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, South Africa. That whole little area there along the coast is, is known for a long time for being a great uh, fertile area to, to grow. Veg- I mean, it's two different empires. I had a huge amount of food production uh, in and out of there. And Rhodesia used to be one of the largest exporters of, of food crops as well uh you know po- politics and and the rest aside um uh, but the land is fertile you know and, and definitely i think long term you're going to see those areas be kind of a powerhouse for export uh of cannabis at least flower production and plant production uh, and then with colombia you know it's another area that really long term can be uh um you know quite profitable Africa is just amazing to me, just the sheer size. It just blows my mind every time, especially when you see like a comparison map to like when they squeeze other countries into it. And it's just like you can fit half the damn world into Africa. It's a, it's insanity. It, it's just and, and it's like I feel like I have zero knowledge on, on that whole thing. It's like I, I, I know so little about Africa, but it's this gigantic expanse of land on this whole earth. I'll be back. I was supposed to head back over in November, but we pushed everything back to February or later because of uh, uh, different things going on on the ground over there. So it made a little more sense to wait uh, till after the holidays. Also, like if anyone that doesn't know, like all of Southern Africa just shuts down for Christmas, like starting in like early December, it just closed. Like, you can't do shit until like, uh, you know, January 10th or whatever is when everything kind of starts to open back up again fully. So um, you know, it doesn't make sense to get over there a little early other than hanging out at the farm and getting stuff done. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do much else. And if I'm going to travel that far, I want to be able to do some fun stuff too. So are you going to that same farm or are you a different project? 
This will be a different project. I will be going back up to Zim. There's a different project I'll be working with. It's a five acre project up there. It's both vegetables and cannabis. Uh, and then I'll be working with Sweetwater Farms over in um, uh, both in Cape Town and then out by, um, they have another facility out by uh, East London down kind of near Durban, south of Durban, about two hours ish approximately without giving the location away. <laughs> That's cool. Do you have any uh, ideas already of uh, anything new that you're going to try to experiment with down there? Or are you just kind of wait until you get down there to be inspired by it? Definitely just get some genetics going, you know, getting some more uh, African stuff because I'm, I'm super stoked about the stuff I have, but everything I have seems to be taking fucking forever to flower. So we got to uh, see if I can find some stuff that finishes a little faster. Uh, but other than that, uh, just stoked to get hang out. I'll be uh, hanging out with some of the strain hunter dudes and stuff. And uh, the guys I'll be working with there are, are no, uh, not only them, but some other people that we can get up into the hills and actually go get some, uh, some nice uh, South African sativas and stuff from the hills. From nice. some traditional growers. We'll definitely be doing that, getting some filming of that done while I'm down there. So uh, that'll be all, all part of the trip for next year. We'll be doing some educational classes as well for people that want to come take in-person classes there at their farm. They have a 62 acre uh, aquaponic and living soil farm growing cannabis uh, and vegetables. So it's, it's a really cool facility. Uh, and then we'll also be doing a couple of free classes as well for just teaching farmers about KNF and some stuff like only having it for local farmers that are just growing food stuff to try and get that knowledge out and disseminate it. Um, you know, strictly for the people that otherwise would not have access to it and, and couldn't afford it. So we're super stoked to do both of those things while I'm over there. It's one of the reasons why I got wanted to get involved with these guys. It would be really cool if you could uh, get any time out or at all and um, get out to the indigenous people out there and see if you could find any indigenous farming practices that they're using that they really like. You know, that's the stuff I really love to kind of dig into is like... Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. For me, it's just the old farmers that sit around. But you know, I love hearing their little fucking little tricks and and stuff they've passed down forever. I love hearing that stuff, especially like the San people. Uh, um, oh, what's the name of? Uh, hold on. I want to make sure I pronounce it right. Uh, San S A A N. Uh, also, like the traditional Bushmen, they're basically like the Native Americans of Southern Africa. They've their genetic lineage goes back to like eighty thousand years, and these people have been living in the desert off the land for that entire time. Um, there was even a huge uh, drought in ninety one or ninety two, uh, and they went out to some of these more remote villages from some of these people, and their diet was completely unchanged. They're like drought, what drought? We're we're fine. Like, and they had over two thousand more calorie intake than anybody else. Uh, for that same time period through that drought uh, per day and all this other stuff. So they really are kind of like the, the true survivors of Africa when it, terms to, it comes to people that really know how to live off the land more than anybody else there. Hell yeah. And they're, they're definitely a people that uh, if you get a chance to, there is some like different opportunities in South Africa where you can go stay from them and learn from them. Um, uh, uh, and uh, But they basically go between Botswana, Namibia, Angola, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Lesotho, and South Africa um, in terms of their traditional areas here. There you go. Khoisan. That's it. Khoisan uh, is the, I think, politically, current politically correct term. Um, but that's their different uh, original distributions in Africa. But they really are, you know, kind of the original, uh, you know, hardcore survivors of Africa. 
Another oh, interesting they... thing about them is that there's more genetic diversity between individual tribes. You can see all those different colors, all those different groups. There's more genetic diversity even uh, between uh, individual villages than there is between, let's say, Japanese and Venezuelans. It wow. basically is uh, when, you, when you learn about this stuff, it disproves if you were more than half an idiot. It disproves any kind of conception of racism because literally everybody else in the entire world, the Finns, the Germans, the Bangladeshis, the fucking Punjabis, every one of them are closer genetically related than the individual people that from the outside people will say, oh, then they all look the same because for us, they basically look like maybe vaguely South African people. It's 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 stunning when you hear about it. At least it was it's stunning the first time I heard about it. There's more genetic they, diversity. Are they allowed there. to wander, or are they pretty much? So they've been hunting, especially like um, when um, the the last big genocide and well, I shouldn't call it that, but the last big civil war, I guess we'll call it to be politically correct in Zimbabwe, um, uh, definitely moved a lot of them out of the Zimbabwe area and Zambia area. Um, they were persecuted as well under the Rhodesians. Um, so they kind of definitely moved a lot more towards Namibia. Now, Namibia, this area in Namibia is some of the hardest places to live on the planet. And you're not going to be able to just roll up and dig a well and build a <laughs> house. And like, it's not that kind of environment. Um, it, you know, it's, you're just not going to. And there's also just nothing there to like make money on. So there's no reason to, you know, it hasn't been. It's a safer place for them to be, I guess, uh, without being fucked with so much. Um, but yeah, just like uh, Fumi is saying, they, their lineage is so old that they have this immense genetic diversity between their different uh, their different groups because they're, you know, kind of one of the oldest exi still existing genetic groups of humans uh, that really hasn't interbred with a lot of the rest of the world in terms of genetic pool. I wonder if that's probably a key to their ability to fucking survive out there. Yeah. With those old genetics, you know. But definitely, uh, when we go off world, we got to bring a few of them with us for uh, yeah. <laughs> to make sure our gene pool is nice and diverse uh, for for everybody. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it in like a, you know, we got to bring all the good humans uh, and make sure and other animals too. I think it's really cool with some of the different DNA databases that they're doing as far as animals and preserving all the different genetic lines so that we have access to these genes for different disease. Uh, uh, solving purposes and whatever else that they come up with later on. I'm not a huge fan of all GMOs, but I think that uh, in some cases they certainly can be beneficial. Yeah, it scares the shit out of me. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> it's just the thing, it you know. Like inherently, it's not box. a bad thing, right? I mean, modify. We basically genetic uh, Spartan Spartans glue. That's basically genetically modified. You know, all my strains are genetically modified, but they've been gen uh, uh, naturally, naturally genetically modified. Yeah. So that implicitly, it's not necessarily a bad thing. But we all basically know that it's going to be taken by somebody who has no scruples, has no morals. They're not going to do any long-term testing, and it might have long-term consequences. We don't realize. You know, that's the scary stuff. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with nuclear power. Like, I'm actually pro-nuclear power. I agree with, you know, anti-nuclear power people that it's incredibly dangerous if you fuck it up. Plenty of examples of that. But there are, you know, in my opinion, there are ways to do it properly. And so then that, that's where I diverge from a lot of people because they say, well, there's no such thing as good nuclear power. But then, like, you could make the same argument with GMO. Like, there's obviously, if you were to do it properly... There's probably ways to do it. Evidently, what is it? Yellow rice or whatever that's fed. I can't remember how many people now. And it's literally a genetically modified rice that yeah. just has more. What is it? Vitamin E, a couple of vitamin things. B. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, no, the, the, and the thing I think that and what scares me about it is stuff that's capable of horizontal gene transfer. So serve yeah. some plants and microbes, we gotta, we gotta have much tighter controls. And I think that it's been treated way too loosely when it comes to those being released into the environment. I mean, you have GMO mosquitoes being released in Florida now and Brazil. You have all kinds of crops that have been released. You have all those different um, uh, patent stuff with people's corn and shit being pollinated with, um, you know, GMO cropped pollen and other stuff where they put the markers in the pollen so they can come and sue you over it oh, if you yeah. have the seeds the next year and all this other happy horse shit. But they really need to put this in and, and, and block, you know, look, if it's capable of horizontal gene transfer, you need to put some kind of mechanism in that to stop that from happening because that's how you're going to end up with that Pandora's box of, you know, okay, well, this thing hybridized with a wild type and, and happens to produce this other compound now that's really not good for you or whatever. And it's only a matter of time, right? Like nature's done this a thousand times or millions of times over, right? So this isn't a, and not only that too, but like, um, just look at, um, Matthew Gates has talked about this before about how different um, viruses and things that can infect stuff can dramatically change the genetic expression and behavior of different microbes, you know, making insects feed on different things they wouldn't normally feed on and infect things that they normally wouldn't infect and this, that, and the other, like, that also plays a role into, um, you know, that's kind of natural GMOing, right? Like nature doing that kind of shit. So yeah, and that's the bizarre thing is our mitochondria are almost certainly ancient, either viruses or I think paramecians. I can't remember exactly what the theories are, but you know, a lot of people said there were, uh, first of all, there's like 60% of our individual, like our genome is viral. So evidently we have actually assimilated a bunch of that kind of viral genome basically into our uh, uh, genetics. And then I guess, like I say, like different structures in the cells are actually things that we just basically sucked in. You know, our ancestors at some point sucked in and basically said, okay, we'll take this technological marvel like the mitochondria is the, the power plant of the cell, right? And it, it wasn't something that animals evolved. It was something that they got infected with and they were like, oh, this is useful. Let's keep it. Um, that was, you know, like proto GMO. You know what I mean? Nobody did it on purpose. It was evolution. Right. Yeah. It just scares me when we we uh, play with shit like that. It's like, man. Yeah, you're going to have the pet from careful. Dune. You guys, yeah. have you seen the Dune? You're going to have that creature. That's it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then I'm here, like, I hear uh, China taking um, interest in trying to collect some, trying to find enough DNA and all those mammoths and things that they're coming, that are pulling out of uh, Russia mm -hmm. with the with the um, snow melting and then like talking about trying to, you know, rebuild a mammoth and then have a living mammoth. And I'm like, yeah, but what kind of other things come with that? You know what I mean? What kind of other disease or virus or whatever that may have, you know, lived in its gut, who knows what, but, you know, and then that gets out and it's like something that we no longer have resistance towards and it just decimates us, <laughs> you know? I've heard a lot of I, I, I actually brought that theory up, you know, kind of to a couple of friends of mine. And they were like, you know, people that might actually know better. And they were like, you know, honestly, there's always a chance of that because, I mean, you honestly never know about stuff like uh, something could have killed an entire population, then got buried by a snowfall and then or a mudslide or something that literally vanished off the sur surface of the earth. But a lot of times uh, anything that was around is still around in terms of like descendants or, you know, whatever. Uh, and uh, the world has basically evolved around it or it, as you know, diseases many uh, oftentimes do, they evolve to be less uh, uh, deadly than they used to be, not more deadly. So anyway, apparently that's one of the fears that we don't necessarily have to be freaked out about.
well, I can be a little bit less freaked out. I'm still right. a little bit freaked out. Yeah, exactly. Like you never know. <laughs> this was a, butthole aids this or something. I don't even super know. Super cool thing about. Oh, I'm sorry. I was making a dumb joke. Go ahead. Um, this was a, a cool paper that was published. Um, I forget when. Hold on, I think it's on here. Anyways, um, but uh, 2000, 2021. Um, uh, but it's uh, about. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. That's It'd be really spooky. It was published in the future. Recently, it's published in the future. It is in the future. It's published on November fourth, two thousand twenty-one. It says. Oh my god. Oh no. Download. I know. Uh, what is this article from? Oh, this you. is from twenty eighteen. But basically, uh, <laughs> this paper goes on to about how uh, THC and CBD and cannabinoid expression is a direct result of a viral infection, uh, uh, and and that that type of type terpene structure because ter- you know cannabinoids are a, a subtype of, of terpene terpenoid so but it's interesting right so like That's we get crazy. down to the same thing with male and, and female genomes like the fact that we're male and female is a result of a viral infection right so um it's kind of interesting uh again on how nature does this all the time with all kinds of varied results which is why we should all be worried <laughs> how quickly do you think they would hey, have there's somebody probably one of the best people to ask about gmos <laughs> how's it going guys that would have happened though. hey Soulshine, uh, in the chat they're saying that yeah uh, uh, mammoths are going to happen and so i was thinking like wouldn't it be cool if the mammoth people like bought one of those mammoths and then had like a mammoth tea party <laughs> and they could have like a mammoth tea party for mammoth pee i think and then they the give shit. out compost tea made with the mammoth manure that's it oh it's hell yeah circle of life but yeah i heard you guys and then they play the lion king the after activism that. and the community action i mean huge props there spartan i just want to give you the respect for being a part of that because it, it takes all of us in the movement stepping up and doing our part and spreading that and then you guys are talking about genomes so i really couldn't stay away for long i scarfed my dinner down and shut up as quickly as i could rolled up this joint with a little bit of the hash from uh, one of my breeding experiments outside that went entirely into the bubble bags this year. And uh, yeah, excited to be here, guys. But uh, on the note of GMOs and uh, viruses, actually, a lot of people don't realize, but CRISPR itself is a method uh, derived entirely from how viruses edit genomes. So we're really just, we haven't even made anything unique. We're really just, I'm simplifying, but we're hijacking a natural mechanism. CRISPR only goes in and edits, you know, these repeats that are there originally through viruses. So, uh, you know, another biomimicry thing, humans aren't all that creative or we're very creative at copying nature. I did want to mention real quick before we totally switch the GMO stuff there, uh, Explorers Club allegedly ate some uh, ancient mammoth meat uh, back, I forget how many years ago, uh, 55 years ago, or whenever this was published. So, okay, so 60 years ago. Anyways, thought that was interesting. We've what already got a market for the mammoth tea. Uh, Sarah's there saying, I, I would totally buy that shit. So. Mammoth tea, I love it. <laughs> Oh yeah, you, you could. They could actually find a frozen one and extract the pee from the bladder of the frozen <laughs> mammoth. Mammoth tea made out of mammoth you know, pee for mammoth pee. It would be fucking hilarious to no. like wait, wait until like Colin wins some big award or some shit, and then bring him this like, like just put like like ball jar of ancient mammoth. <laughs> actual <laughs> mammoth, like authentic mammoth pee. <laughs> 
It's got to be a ball jar for sure. Screw on lid. <laughs> it has to be one of their containers. It has to be like one of their containers and it'll look the same basically. And you'll be like, yeah, there you like what are you doing? You're just giving me my own thing. You're like, no, no, trust me. Yeah, you, don't wanna, you don't want to smell this one. Trust me. You don't want to smell it. <laughs> Colin's a cool guy though. When I was working at Aquaponics Source, he gave us a five gallon bucket of that stuff when he was before he had released it publicly and we did a a bunch of fish trials with it and stuff like that. And I will say that for mineralizing fish waste, it certainly will unlock basically all the phosphorus that you need for cannabis plants if you actually inoculate it properly. So um, it is a really good uh, microbial mix. Yeah, that's one of the few bottled microbes that I, uh, and not to trash any of the companies out there, um, but I usually really prefer culturing your own. Uh, or live culturing, or even secondarily culturing bottled microbes and putting them through some localization and naturalization. But yeah, the mammoth pea stuff kicks ass. Um, definitely one of the ones I like just straight out of the bottle. What are your guys' opinions on, okay, if the paper, like what the paper was saying was that a virus is what was responsible for THC and CBD production, do you think that would be as quick as just the first generation or that plant had to have interbred with itself or whatever. And then it's, it's, you know, second or third generation is when that THC showed up or was that virus able uh, to do that switch within that first generation before that plant? I would imagine it was more than one plant. I would imagine it happened to a few males, a few females, you know, with broadly similar characteristics and they interbred. I don't know. That's a good one. I don't know. We have uh, sun grown mids. Uh, mids is going to be joining us again here in a couple of weeks. Um, it'd be definitely a good question for him or, um, uh, during the, the, uh, second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis cultivation conference, um, we will be, um, uh, having Kevin McKernan uh, on as well. And he'd be another great person to ask about these genome specific questions because he certainly knows that better than just about anybody else that I know. Yeah, he would, <laughs> he's, he often puts me like, I was like, I don't, he's gone into another language. I don't even know what he's saying anymore. <laughs> Oh yeah, he that man's probably forgotten more about genomics than I've ever learned. And uh, so, um, uh, Caleb's going to be speaking at our uh, our conference as well on copyleft cultivars. Uh, do you want to give everybody a little bit of a, or just tell everybody about um, that uh, and what uh, what you've been doing? Yeah, for sure. I'm thrilled to be. A part of it and uh, among so many other really stellar speakers I'll be on 3 p.m on the 13th right before Chris Trump so stick around uh, Michael Gates or Matthew Gates excuse me Zenthanol's talk right before me uh, he's stellar as I'm sure you know and then uh, moving on to me and then Chris Trump and so I think there's going to be a power hour there and then uh, a little bit more than an hour but the whole thing is just a power two days, um, really, truly. I'm gonna be delving into the ecosystem uh, that we're all a part of in this larger lens as an emerging market, not the soil ecosystem that we normally talk about or our integration with fish, but actually the larger ecosystem that uh, we all together are a part of that actually has some stunning similarities if we organize it properly to a well-functioning living soil or aquaponic system. So uh, that's a lot of what I'm building my talk around, although we'll be touching on a lot of other really interesting, relevant. So yeah, I'm thrilled to jump into that and 
thrilled for the whole conference. I'll definitely be listening in the whole time and taking notes as much as I can. I'm sure learning along with everybody else there, the beauty of the open source information and education. Yeah, I'm super excited as well. And um, uh, we did have um, a gentleman from Vietnam, unfortunately, uh, is going to have to travel uh, during that time frame. So um, we did have to replace him. Um, so we do have Lorenzo Frisella, who did a big, wonderful presentation for the Aquaponics Association. He's going to give us a much longer format a version of that with a lot more details and a couple of specific things I think you guys will be more interested in regards to compost versus compost plus aquaponic water versus aquaponic water only in a soilless medium uh, and versus a control uh, and then running up different crop yields with that and how that expressed different aspects of the plant. So I think you guys, especially people that are trying to learn more about living soil and aquaponics uh, are going to really get a lot out of that talk. So uh, definitely a great fit um, uh, to, uh, to replace the one that we had to, to fit change last minute. So um, I'm really stoked on that. And then lots of other great talks. We have um, uh, Heavy Days from the podcast is going to be moderating the commercial cultivation panel. Scotty Reel is going to be uh, moderating the homegrown panel. Uh, Jordan River from Growcast is going to be moderating the uh, the craft grown panel. So, and then a whole bunch of great speakers, Clackamas Coot, Dr. Robert Faust, um, Dutch Blooms. Um, so uh, a bunch of other producers from Canada. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to check them out, Spartan, but Thumb Genetics, they're a commercial aquaponic cannabis producer in Michigan. Um, they'll be speaking at 1 p.m. as well. So oh. um, definitely check them out if you're if you're up there. For sure. Well, yes. Yeah, and it looks like I misspoke with the Matthew Gates before me, but it looks like there was a rearranging. So I'm super excited to see Lorenzo's talk before me and then uh, Matthew's to correct myself at the end of that night, rounding it out strong. Yeah, we always happens when you're planning these things. Stuff, people's schedules change and stuff like that. So it's all part of it. We, we kind of planned for this. So we had a couple of people lined up just in case. So it all worked out in the end. Plus, every time we announce this, I, I get three or four people like, hey, man, I'd love to get involved. So we, we have a couple of people on the waiting list, too, just in case so it works out great. Um, but we're really excited to get this big free educational weekend. I think a lot of people are kind of like a little bit bummed this year. Prices are down a little bit. People haven't had the same kind of motivation. We haven't been able to get together and kind of get re-energized in the same kind of way. So hopefully this will kind of help fill the gap between now and, you know, the, the spring season when hopefully we can... Uh, get together again in bigger numbers, you know? At least a little more easily. <laughs> Oklahoma, it's pretty easy, but we're only stuck with the Okies. Yeah. That's the cool thing is like, we're spread all over the place. So uh, it makes it hard to get these uh, things all together where we could all physically be together. But with, uh, you know, going online, that's fucking awesome, man. Plus we can get people from around the world. We got people from South Africa, Switzerland, Sweden, uh, Australia, you know, we'd never be able to get that in person with some of these people. So I'm super stoked. I just love being in fucking rooms where I'm constantly learning. You know what I mean? Like that first conference you guys had with, uh, uh, what was it? Just the, it wasn't a dem conference. What it was just, it was just your virtual, it wasn't virtual. It was regular. <laughs> the first, when you oh, came the one to Michigan. out Michigan and, uh, yeah. Yeah. When you guys came uh, out to Josh, Michigan. The, uh, the regenerative conference regenerative conference that's what it was called yeah and to just be have every single speaker be somebody that i was just like i'm sitting there fucking taking notes every single one it's like there wasn't one person that i didn't like have an interest in what they had to say and 
it really uh, opened my eyes to, you know, a couple different things that I really didn't have my, on my radar, like, you know, KNF, for example, things like that. So, uh, oh, shit. Yeah, so those of you guys that are curious, uh, this is next year's schedule for the Regenerative Conference. Um, it's Humboldt is going to be January 28th through 30th. Michigan is going to be 25th through 27th. Nice. Maine's going to be March 25th through 27th. And Oklahoma, April 29th through May 1st. Um, so uh, definitely check that out. Uh, we're going to have a smoking event venue in Oklahoma where you can smoke weed during the conference. So that'll be pretty dope. Uh, and Humboldt's, if you haven't been out there, that one's kind of a, an awesome experience up in Redway. Uh, and then Michigan's always a good time. There's lots of awesome, awesome scene, awesome community up in Michigan. And then the Maine's really cool because they don't get a lot of people up there. So when we do this, you get people driving up from Boston and New York and Massachusetts. They don't get a lot of these bigger um, uh, conferences with a lot of, you know, more knowledgeable speakers. They get a lot of the sales stuff, but they don't get actual breeders and cultivators. So um, we really get kind of a cool, uh, a cool experience and, and, and a good seeds from up and down the, the East Coast uh, uh, there and then don't forget the last day he has an awesome seed swap so i know the tickets are going to be announced i don't think they're live yet but they will be in, uh, available soon for next year um you know full disclosure I'm, I'm one of the speakers um but uh but yeah so there's some of the previous ones um and uh yeah there's an awesome awesome list so far i forget who else is on this year's schedule i don't think he put it out publicly yet but um it'll be a good time and if you haven't been to one, it really is kind of the best, the best conference that you can go to to learn from. It really is a it's like a, a boot super, camp. super it's kick ass. Information uh, dense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. You know, we've had you know Jeff Lowenfeld, Susan Wainwright Evans, uh, Dr. Robert Faust, uh, Dr. Efron. He's going to be coming back on the show in January, or February, and talk to us about some new mycological stuff he's been working on. Um, Chip Osborne, Chris Trump, myself. Um, you know, lots of awesome people have been a, a part of it over the years. So uh, definitely check that out. Right. Um, and he'll be uh, actually on the show um, next week. He'll be talking to us about some of the new products that he's been working on. He's got uh, all different types of stuff that he's been. Uh, uh, is it up yet? Hold on, give me two seconds. It might actually be up on the website. Uh, anyways, I don't see it out there now, but um, I'll, I'll get the link from him uh, for next week when we have him on. So what's, uh, what's new with you, uh, Caleb? I know you've been uh, doing a lot of work with uh, Copy Left. What, tell us a little bit about the latest stuff. I know you recently got stuff registered and uh, all kinds of other exciting things are happening over there with the, the, the organization. Yeah, thanks, Ben. I am really excited about what we're doing, actually. Uh, now that we have the ball rolling in terms of the nonprofit, um, we're officially a nonprofit and we're working towards that 501c3. We have a fiscal sponsorship right now, um, which essentially means we can operate like a 501c3 um, under a sponsor that is 501c3. And uh, so we're getting rolling with that. And then we're also starting to design the actual system. You know, we're getting together uh, people from the community. If anyone wants to be involved with this, do reach out, uh, copyleftcannabis.com. And uh, we can connect you in. We're working on getting the traits lined up for what we're gonna have in our intake and aligning that with the genetics. 
because then we'll be able to take those, put them onto this genetic universe that is assured all of these uh, are protected as a community good and all of the uh, information that comes from that, it stays uh, open and available to the public as much as we can. And uh, then we put that in that galaxy and that system, we're actually working with a really exciting visualization system that can simplify and extrapolate out data then associate between the genetics, the traits, and show us things like pie charts, show you things like associations that are a little bit more than uh, what you might see on say seed finder, for example, which has been a, a good step you know, in the past, or some of these on the opposite side, these complex galaxies like medicinal genomics has, which uh, is amazing, but also, complicated to navigate. You also don't have any assurance about the license status or the usability of that information as you're navigating it. So this will be you know, standardized to be usable for researchers and breeders. And uh, we're really excited as we dig into that. And on the other side, interconnected to that, working with some really interesting, exciting uh, people who have experience in ethics, integrating ethics into contracts, some intellectual property attorneys that have worked in in this open space as well in the past in other areas in assuring the security of our common good instead of this kind of privatized thing and uh, assuring that supply chains are ethically sourced, that sort of thing. So we're integrating in these different expertise bits. I connected with Alan from Strainly recently. He's a great guy and he uh, has a lot of experience with the open source license that his organization put out. And we're just kind of building this license, you know, with all these different groups a lot of groups from the psychedelic legalization movement as well. Um, and building that license that's going to robustly be able to protect uh, both like the breeders and the cultivators, uh, but also the freedom of use for those genetics and uh, kind of incentivize large parties to be interconnected through uh, making that innovation open, kind of aligning our interests. So instead of like what we're seeing, what Spartan was talking about in Michigan, where they're just trying to shut down all of these little guys, they finally recognize and they have to recognize because of the weight of our conglomerate interconnected mass and the, the speed of evolution that that creates uh, our innovation core, right? They have to see like their strength comes from us. And so that license and the galaxy, you know, they fit together in, to assure that, you know? And so what that looks like, it's like a bag seed when these seeds or clones are, are distributed real simple text and this link in to see the actual you know galaxy view of the genome and the interconnection yeah so we're, we're just starting you know to build the the actual guts of this system and building an, an amazing team we have some really amazing people and and i really couldn't do this alone we also have a big community on discord and and people who have been emailing back and forth as well um a good email tree and so anybody again who wants to be plugged into that uh, I welcome the community uh, because this is not my project. You know, this is a project that I am taking a lead on, but uh, that I am, you know, not in control of any more than, than any one person. We need to, to interconnect and build this together uh, because it is a nonprofit, a community organization by the community. So, yeah. And uh, by the way, Discord, for those of you that don't know, that's a server system that you can have on your phone or you can have on a web browser or on a computer. And uh, it's really great for just building grassroots community, organizing, communicating together, 
So it's been a, a big hub for this. Uh, we also had an amazing grassroots public interest meeting over on Fumador's channel. So go and check that out if you haven't already. Uh, again, shout out Fumador, that went really well. And I think you were mentioning this to me recently, but we should have another one of those for sure. So yeah, uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. Anybody who's interested and uh, again, welcoming the input as we build this, this system to integrate the genetics and make it open, uh, finally secure this for the community. Yeah, thanks a lot for doing that. I know uh, a lot of people were behind some of the other initiatives that were similar and then you know maybe got a little disheartened because they didn't uh, didn't feel good about the people that it was supporting later on. And uh, it's nice to see people uh, with, you know, good ethics and good morals kind of taking up the helm and, and trying to, to, you know, carry that torch into the next, uh, the next generation of uh, cannabis breeders. I know we spent quite a, quite a few episodes covering that topic on the show, which we won't get into detail, but uh, uh, definitely check out some of the old episodes with, with uh, Beth Schechter uh, or uh, sun-grown mids that we had on in the past. Um, so uh, what are some of the other things um, that you're seeing uh, uh, on the legislative, is there anything on the legislative side that you guys are seeing either Spartan or, uh, or Caleb in terms of uh, genetics or anything like that in the, in the cannabis side and in these new bills, or is it all still pretty much just about general regulation? Is there, are you starting to see some of that creep into the bills? I haven't been reading bills I mean, as much. Genetics later. is an advanced topic when it comes to legislators, man, like an extremely advanced topic. Um, the most, the, the things that I'm seeing stuff is like, um, it's all activism that's really pushing the, the smart stuff. Like uh, we have a thing here that's right now in the education committee, um, which is Jaden's bill. And what that is, is right now, if you have to medicate, and you're uh, underage and you go to school, you have to wait for, your parent has to come, sign you out of school, take you out of class, drive you at least a thousand feet away from the school grounds, give you your medication, then can drive you back to your school because we have stupid regulations and laws because you're not allowed to have cannabis on school grounds when really it's medicine. So, you know, Jane's allowed to allow for that, the, you know, the ones that have been connected by, you know, uh, they've been seen a doctor and, and it's really difficult for a minor to get a card here in Michigan. You have to get two doctor's approvals with none of them, you know, disapproving before you can. And then you have to have your caregiver be your parent, I believe. And um, they have to pass background texts and everything. So it's not easy. It's not something that's easy, but we still have like 300 minor patients here in the state. So there are quite a few of them. So, you know, there's stuff like that that makes sense. But as far as, yeah, I haven't heard of any, anything as far as genetic specific leg legislation, not at all. Yeah, I'm on that same page as Spartan. I have not seen any uh, other than, you know, simply intellectual property related and that usually happens in a courtroom. Um, right now where that's at is like the Skittles versus Skittles type of trademark litigation. And they haven't uh, opened up federal courtrooms to incorporate uh, cannabis as a drug, although there is some of that happening with hemp. Um, but that's usually where the genetics comes in. 
is on that level because there's a, like a lot tighter scope and greater presentation space, et cetera, in a, in a civil courtroom and our country kind of dictates towards that uh, versus these wide sweep arches of legislature. Um, but what comes to mind also is how the game plan for the psychedelic legalization movement right now in California um, and the recent, recent SB bill that was almost passed, um, that they uh, are following the same roadmap with that as they followed with cannabis, you know, and they there's this style I notice repeating. Uh, and so, you know, being involved in organizing, we need to be wary to, to their moves, you know, we got to learn these moves too. And, uh, you know, it's better not to not to fight head on, head on, but to also, you know, move in a, in a good way with these things. And uh, one of these moves is to build these coalitions, you know, build these big coalitions with lots of people. And they incorporate us, they build, they build us into those coalitions, but they also build us out of parts of those coalitions. And so then they'll have these backroom discussions and they'll, um, you know, move forward with certain things. And so uh, like in the psychedelic world, there's been this big push to make synthetic psilocybin the main move. And that stretches back to supporting Peter Thiel's companies and Peter Thiel has direct involvement through several different branches in synthetic psilocybin uh, groups that would have a monopoly through the FDA, but uh, they don't want natural derived. And so they've been backdooring all of those. They build this coalition and then they backdoor and cut out the community parts of the coalition from these private conversations where then they edit and they do what you were saying spartan where they come back in and they edit the bill after it's already in process and after yes. the coalition of the community is with it and you have in your mind as a, as a viewer of this like oh yeah i support that bill well hey you don't support this iteration of the bill now and are we kept up to date on this i mean whose incentive is it to keep us up to date on it so exactly. uh, it's exactly. not kept with up us people like you Spartan and potent and fumador and others out there spreading the word. And so like, I commend that, but uh, uh, it's really showing of how this system works. And we got to be wary to that tactic of, you know, expect to be cut out of the, the conversations where the decisions are actually made, but to be part of the conversations where the decisions are, uh, you know, talked about in generalities. Well, I think it's, that was one of the things that I was almost pleading with the lawmakers today. And it made a lot of sense to them and they were agreeing with me. And I, I was, I was pleading that point. I was like, look guys, I'm not asking for, um, I'm not asking for you to agree with what I'm saying, everything I'm saying. I'm just asking for me to have a seat at that table. When you're making these decisions, allow me to have a voice. I'm just saying to allow the people who wrote this law to be able to defend it, to defend their actions before you gut it. You know, you gave us 15 minutes when, you know, it was a hundred minute meeting and, and then they changed the, they changed the law and pushed it to the house, which once it goes out of committee and gets pushed to the house, you, they no longer take public comment, you know, during the proceedings. So it's not like you can go in front of the house and testify and say, Hey, you know, I don't like these bills because of these reasons. So that pushed the public away to where now our only option really is to 
go to our representative and talk directly to them. But there's some cool things you can do. Like uh, I learned today, <laughs> this is a cool trick that I'm going to put out there because I didn't know this and I thought it was amazing. So if you go up to your representative's office and you go into the office and you say, hey, I want to talk to the representative and they tell you, well, they're on the floor right now. You can go to the Capitol building, at least in Michigan. I don't know about everywhere else. You can go to the Capitol building and uh, talk to the clerk and say, look, I didn't want to talk to my representative. And they're on the floor and the clerk will take, there's some form you have to fill out, but the clerk will actually go onto the floor, get your representative and bring them out because they, they're supposed to, I mean, that's their job. They're, they're supposed to talk to you. So I think that is amazingly powerful. I mean, I know you're going to piss them off, but uh, they're not going to ignore that. So if you're shooting emails and they're not emailing you back and you're calling them and they're not calling you back or you're not getting to be able to talk to your representative, don't give up. I would go down there and pull that and, and say, look, I, I tried emailing you. You didn't email me back. I tried calling you. You didn't call me back. Now I'm now we're here. <laughs> it would just make my day to do that. But uh, I don't want to go there on you know day one. I'm going to give them a chance. <laughs> Another great tool. Uh, I like to tell people to use this uh, for their larger outreach campaigns. But even as an individual, you can use this. ResistBot and ResistBot's this great application that you can text and just with simple text messages, uh, just Google search ResistBot and you'll see the instructions and the code that they have. And uh, yeah, you just text them. It turns into a, a fax and it sends to your representatives. They ask you a couple questions in order to figure out who your representatives are, you know, your location generally. And, uh, you know, they do have to sign it with your name. And they'll do a little kind of like simulated signature at the bottom, but they put it all into form properly and uh, they can't hang up the phone on a fax machine. That's, that's hilarious. I've actually been very lucky, surprisingly, when every time I call up there, they answer the phone. It might not, you know, be, I haven't been able to talk to representative. It's always a staff member, but uh, I, I get to talk to somebody. And uh, so they've been, at least for me, it's been, it's been open, but I've heard other people that have not been so lucky. <laughs> I think that's a, and I also like your idea of throwing a, a banquet or a dinner and, and just inviting them and their staff and saying, Hey, look, we're going to have, you know, education for two or three hours. Well, you know, we're going to cover your meal or whatever, just show up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that was, that was all from outreach here in the state. We had, uh, oh man, I'm going to mess up Ryan. His first name's Ryan. And his last name is one that I can never remember. It's like Brighton, Brightoner or something like that. But anyhow, he just stood up and he said, he organized a rally at the, at the Capitol. We, uh, which I attended, I was there. And, um, but he also had a fundraiser and in that fundraiser, they raised enough money to put on this banquet. I mean, it was like $5,000 or something. I mean, it's not a cheap thing. And uh, I just think, I think you're right, Steve. And I, I think it's really the biggest, when you boil it down, that's the biggest problem is just the ignorance. So if we can just get them to agree to, to listen to the information, I think even if half of them, you know, if half of, if we change half their minds, it's a win, man. If I change one person's mind, it's a fucking win. You know what I mean? Today I left with one congressman. I, I got, I talked to one congressman who agreed 
like most of them won't agree to shit but I, he said no I, you have my commitment to a no vote and i said thank you and the, you know that made my day we only need because we have a super majority they need a super majority we only need i think it's 28 or 29 no votes so well, that's awesome i felt and, accomplished uh, if people want to get more organized with their own state or whatever what do you do you have any other advice for people trying to to do this and replicate it where they are well i mean it's just get up and do it try it what do you have to do? you know what i mean there's groups in every state that are already out there trying to get local effort you could always if you didn't feel like you wanted to start something like uh, ryan did himself or like you know, me today when I just drove up to Lansing, um, there's groups that you can, you can reach out to like normal. There's probably a normal chapter in your state. I believe there's one in every state. Uh, you know, groups like that is a good place to start. Now I'm not a, a member of normal, but I work with them quite a bit because our goals align often, but it doesn't mean our goals align every time. So just because there's other groups out there doesn't mean you don't feel like you have to be a member of that group to, you know, if you have a common goal, you can still work together. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of groups out here that are helping and even donating to the cause that I, you know, particularly are not huge fans of, but Hey, if they're helping my cause, I'm not going to bitch about it. Fine. You know, if you want to help help, but, uh, if you're hurting the cause, <laughs> that's a whole nother issue. So I just say, you know, everybody has their own talents. Everybody has their own comforts. A lot of people like wouldn't do what I would, what I did today. I understand that. A lot of people don't want to, wouldn't want to drive up and, and talk to it. It's just, they, they, you know, freeze up in front of, you know, people in suits or whatever, but there's other things you can do. You could uh, spread the word, just spread the word by telling people like, Hey, this is what's going on. You know, you can use social media, you, you can be a good example and not, and, you know, come out of the cannabis closet, we'll say, you know, you can be a really awesome human being and smoke cannabis. And when people see that, that's how you change the world just every single day of your life. Because then people will be like, well, I don't know if cannabis is that bad. This guy over here smokes like a chimney and he's a pretty cool dude, you know? <laughs> So, I mean, you could just be changing minds every single day of your life, you know, just being a good person. So, I mean, I hate to sound like, I don't know, like people are like, yeah, that's not going to make a difference, but it does. It's, you know, it's just one domino. You just one domino and you just, that person, you affect that person's day. They affect the next person's day and it comes back to you. But I mean, just do what you can. When you sit back on your couch and you think, man, I should do something about it. Do something about it. Don't just think about it. And that's the hardest thing to overcome is that initial. Eh, do I feel like putting my neck out there? Do I feel like, you know, actually calling this number? Do I feel like actually emailing? I will say when it comes to anything, the best thing you can do is talk to your representative because and make sure you know that they know that you are there in their district or whatever, because they know that you're a voter and it's very, they don't hear from people that often. So when somebody calls, they, they, they do listen. So call them, you know, everybody wants to email and, and that's important too, but they ignore emails and they have like already canned responses that just auto fill back to you. Much better if you call them and they have to actually listen to somebody and actually have a conversation. 
So I would say the easiest thing anybody could do is call them. Just call your local representative and tell them what the issue is and, you know, try to, and don't be a dick. <laughs> That's another thing. It, you know, if you, if you start out being super combative, you're not going to get anything, but, you know, they're either just going to defend themselves. So, you know, just try to just come from a place of education and find some middle ground. Good advice for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It takes all the little actions, right? We're in ocean, but yeah. like the ocean with all the little particles of water and then we just bump and bump and bump and bump and then oh look at that waves starting to cave waves coming up and then we got a super dome wave you can surf brah like <laughs> yeah that's how it happens I mean, you know, it's it's a real thing. You know, if you if you guys ever sat in traffic, and not everyone lives in I don't know, urban areas, or whatever, but a lot of us have experienced traffic. You know, especially like maddening, like stop and go traffic. The reality is, when you're stuck in traffic, you are the traffic. All of us are traffic whenever we're stuck in traffic, right? And traffic waves. Uh, how do I say this? Traffic is usually caused by no reason. Basically, these traffic waves of pretty much people reacting to the person in front of them, and the person behind them re reacts to that, and the person behind them reacts to that. And before you know it, for literally no reason, like somebody maybe looked to the side, and that was the extent of it. There's a whole traffic jam, basically. And a lot of people that kind of realize this, you can literally like break traffic waves, basically. And I've, I see this more and more. Like I used to be one of the only people that was kind of just goofing off, playing this nerdy little game with me. But now I'll see people just kind of fucking around. Maybe they're video game players or something. And they'll basically, you know, they'll hang back from the first car and they kind of, they're like a rubber band, basically, you know, and they'll break this traffic wave. And wouldn't you know it, you'll see behind them, the traffic jam goes away for a little bit until someone else basically like looks to the side and then starts it all over again. Right. But like you can actually enact just like people can act negative change. And there are plenty of examples of like, you know, one person causing untold suffering, you know, one person can cause untold good things. You know what I mean? Like it seems rare, but it happens. And even then, if you don't have to set out to be like the God of all yellow rice or whatever I was talking about before, but just like, you know, make a, a positive uh, uh, impact and then hope that someone else makes a positive impact and so on and so on and so on. And it does work, man. It feels like to me, it always it reminds me of playing sports when I was a kid. I always called it uh, momentum. You know what I mean? I, you can feel the momentum. It's like, I just know you get this confidence. You're like, I just know this is going to be turned out. Okay. Or I just know we've got this in the bag now. Or, and I feel that there. And, it's funny when you're talking about um, the uh, the psychedelic movement here in Michigan, it's going pretty strong too. Um, and that's when I really feel the momentum is like really pushing hard. Holy cow. Like we've just had Ann Arbor fall down, which is no big surprise. Detroit just decrimmed. I mean, that's huge amount of population right there. So um, we had about three or four different cities actually decrimmed. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see in the next major election uh, something on the ballot, you know? Yeah, and that's like the framework thing. That's the power of like the frameworks and, you know, lots of people standing up in their individual things, but also like learning from each other because it started with Oakland, right? And then decriminalized nature. And, you know, if people aren't following decriminalized nature on Instagram, like go follow them. They're amazing. 
Okay, well, that's, um, who, that's who we owe the legalization of Michigan to right there, decriminalization. Exactly. And so that's the blueprint all over that's been happening. I was involved in decrim Tacoma for a while, a little bit with decrim Portland. And it's each time it's just amazing people enacting this pattern. You know, it's a success pattern. We figure out how to do it. And then also being proactive, right? Like not just waiting for, for evil to come try to close in on us, but like trying to enact our own actions you know, on a community level. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, yeah, you have to, you guys start way smaller. You start at the very community level, like the local level. And then, you know, you get, because most people don't participate in local elections, honestly. So if you get, you know, a decent group of people that are interested in your, whatever your proposal is, you can probably push it through at the local level and slip something in there. And uh, I think that's really where the biggest weakness is to big government is at the local level and enacting change there. So many people don't want to do the work of, you know, canvassing for signatures and things like that, but uh, you get enough. You get an organization together, like like what you're saying with Decrim Nature, where they can do a fundraiser and get enough money together to hire out the shitty jobs of like canvassing for signatures. And then you can really get going somewhere on a movement and really get started. So that's really another re really good option there for um, starting out at grassroots. You just start out, don't don't look at the whole elephant, look at the, the first bite. <laughs> start at the local level. Don't try to legalize the whole state from the get-go. Yeah, what was that organizing statement, right? You think local, or I mean, think global, act local. Local, yeah. <laughs> think global, act local. Yeah. And I think it's strange too that no one's put forth like a blank, like a full, um, like example legislation for a good bill. I mean, we've we've done so much work to try and repair them. I've never seen you know, somebody put together a full bill that has a complete regulatory structure that could be shovel ready that you could just hand in front of them and be like, here, use this. I did all the work for you, you know, and uh, the way that the other lobbyists do, right? I think if we could uh, combine it, that's a hell of a lot of work and a lot of money worth of lawyer time. Uh, but I think that that would ultimately probably advance things more than just about anything else. What you also have to be careful of the enemies of, of what you want doing the same shit. Like example yeah. here, in here in Michigan, they, the MCMA is the lobby group that is behind these terrible laws that we're, you know, trying to fight. They're also not only the law lobbying the lawmakers here in the state to, um, to push this law through, they're also lobbying the municipal leagues and holding these training sessions and banquets on how they should, um, at the local level, impose different regulations and rules and regulations on yep. caregivers and patients. And so now we're fighting all these local battles with like ignorant, like stipulations and, and things that are, it's just a headache, but they're doing the same, you know, they're doing the same thing we're doing <laughs> at the local level. They're trying to do the same thing just to make us, I, I guess, expend resources. I don't know. But you just have to be wary of that too, that, you know, pay attention to what's also, going on at your local level. Also on that note, go to all of your city council meetings, not just the ones that have weed in, because we found out in California, we were going to all the ones that had weed stuff and the Catholic church is showing up to all the ones that we weren't at and railing against us. And we had no idea for months that it was even happening. 
right? So you make sure that you at least have one person from your group that's going to those off meetings to make sure that uh, at least someone's there to rebut them. Uh, because once we found that out, we made sure we had someone there to speak against them, but it took a while. I mean, we had someone come up there and they had like 12 kids and they want to do the 10 reasons why you shouldn't legalize cannabis in Half Moon Bay. And it was like, how about like eight reasons why you should use birth control? Like, come on, like, can you really afford 12 kids? No, you probably can't. Like, let's just be honest. Kids are expensive. We all know this. There's got to be some child labor laws. You can't just have kids to do your Right? Labor. That's why they have that. Man. They, have a whole, they usually have like a whole farm and a cult thing going on when they got that many. Yeah, it's the only way you can survive at that point. Damn. Imagine being those lawyers. You're just like parading up whole families of 12 kids, pointing at them aggressively while you're presenting. Like Spartan was saying earlier, you're like hands of pharmaceutical drugs and cannabis and booze and just waving it at the at the committees aggressively. Yeah. One kid dressed as like a pill, one kid dressed as a syringe. Oh, yeah. Crying. (laughs) They're all upset. No, but (laughs) I pointed out, no. So I I basically interrupted him and I was like, look, it says right here in the city council's rules, you have to be 16 to publicly comment before the council. So why are we allowing minors up here? And uh, that got rid of most of them, except for the two older ones. (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious you must be this tall <laughs> so, no i'll tell you this so we went to the this was for half moon bay california and it was the day of the vote and the meeting started at 7 p.m and you got to, we got to choose if we wanted to speak first or second so we allowed the, the negatives to speak first so the positives would speak second because that's all you know if you can get that deal i always take it uh, yeah. so we, i be the last one to talk each person had three minutes to speak and the, and the Catholic Church locally bust in half the Catholics from the Bay Area. We didn't even get a chance to talk until after 1 a.m. They had that many people oh lined up to God. speak against us. And, and none of them were actually lived in the in the town. That's what the crazy part was. But they didn't really have any way to, like, prove, you know what I mean? Like, where you ask yeah. them for their driver's license? Like, you, it, it's not how democracy works. So... Flip that. That's what um, we're trying so, to do. We're calling to action people to show up in Genesee County. And we're like, we don't care if you live there. Show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but basically we had spent all this time talking to the city council, talking to the mayor, talking to the local police department, talking to the local environmental people, local fish and game, like trying to make sure that we did have some proper protection so people weren't doing stupid shit and, and giving us a bad a industry, a bad name. So we did want some regulation, but it was all reasonable. Um, uh, and we proposed some some things for them to, as far as guidelines. And then when it was all of the cannabis owners basically in the room and a couple of other people that are pro-cannabis versus like a whole Catholic church's worth of people, it didn't really look too good for them to vote, you know, in favor of the tiny minority in the room. And that was how they yeah. ended up squashing the whole thing. So like they play really scummy ass games and just be careful. Like some of these groups will get really underhanded with with how they try to fight this. Oh, yeah, we were there today. They had a, um, I don't know if you saw my reel today, but they had uh, a little, uh, if, you, if you watch the very end of my reel, there's about five seconds of this picture, but a, a billboard truck, one of those digital billboard trucks. And it was, uh, the message on the truck was, it was just basically saying vote yes on these bills. And it was from the MCMA. 
And they had it parked right outside in front of the Capitol. They knew what we were doing. They knew why we were there. <laughs> they had heard about it because we were blasting social media to get people to show up, right? And uh, so, yeah, they had a billboard truck just parked right outside, giving a pro-MCMA pro message. So I got a nice picture of me flicking it off, like, you know, fuck you. <laughs> we always do. So I went to the um, rally to restore sanity and or fear down in D.C. that John Stewart and uh, Colbert threw back in the day. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, but it was awesome because the uh, Fox News had a broadcast truck and um, there was a line on each side of it and men were using it as urinals, the whole side of it as a urinal. Oh my God, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I would have hated to have been the intern to watch that fucking thing. That was a bad day at work. Can you imagine the drive home in that thing? Oh, that was man. a that was a great trip for sure. We like there was these please. Anyways, I probably shouldn't shouldn't say that part on the camera, but we had a, got a chance to smoke on the steps of the White House and Congress and the front of the Washington Monument and all these places I never thought I get a chance to smoke weed at. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, they were expecting like sixty to eighty thousand people, and they had like three hundred and twenty thousand people show up and completely overwhelmed the crowd control. <laughs> <laughs> it was good times. Um, I, uh, I was going to bring up uh, on a separate note. Sorry about the dog bone crunching in the back. Um, this paper came out uh, last month, and I, I guess just recently kind of came to my attention this week. I wanted to mention it because a lot of people. There's some people that we love to make fun of uh, that talk about microbial collapse and KNF killing microbes in your soil and other, you know, unfounded bullshit. Um, and this <laughs> actually shows, uh, so what they did here is, and I, I talked about this on Fumi show, we'll talk about it here again. They did um, IMO collections all the way through the different KNF inputs and then KNF treated soil covered sun hemp mulch. And then did organic treated soil covered sun hemp mulch uh, organic uh, treated soil covered with weed mat. Uh, and then they also did um, uh, one or two other controls, but it was zucchini. And what was the other crop in this paper? Anyways, did a couple of different crops. So um, they tested the, and onions, that was the other one. Um, so they tested the different, uh, um, not onions, I forget. Anyways, you can read it. Uh, I'm thinking of a different paper, the aquaponic one I was reading earlier was onion study. Um, but basically, you can see here the red is the KNF inputs, and you can see Bactillus pamillus, Bactillus subtilis, good anti-mold fighters, and a bunch of others being present in much higher levels with the at the 14-day post-treatment uh, against uh, all but um, the one bacteria uh, in the organic um, uh, compost mixes. And then same thing here at the 28-day. Uh, again, huge spike. Uh, on average above much better biodiversity and many species that are present only in the Korean natural farming uh, inputs and not the others. And then you can see here further down, they tested some more microbes and also looked at yields um, uh, per square foot. And a bunch of other awesome stuff here. And then you can see here again, um, and, and the other uh, uh, study based on isolated microbes you can see here BT, uh, Bactillus thuringiensis for fighting your caterpillars and Subtilis for fighting your molds uh, and um, Pseudomoses. Again, all stuff that's gonna help fight your molds uh, is, is good stuff. Um, again, more Bacillus being 
much higher uh, uh, in your uh, your production and all beneficial ones as well. You can see there's quite a few different ones that would help with your uh, your stuff here. So again, subtilis, plumilis, uh, at the 56 day rhizome test, uh, again, uh, getting you know, vastly superior with uh, only B megatherium being uh, higher than any of the others and uh, and this one other. But otherwise, KNF just crushing it uh, across the board. Um, so I thought that was a great study. If you haven't checked it out, uh, uh, I'll put a link in the description. Um, but if you're looking for more comparisons of, you know, compost versus compost and KNF and kind of dispelling some of the silly myths that people are talking about with KNF and hybridizing it with natural food web stuff. Uh, uh, it really is best to hybridize them. I think it's kind of silly that there's even any tribalism at all between the two groups when uh, they work best when you combine them, which, uh, as shown in this paper done by University of Hawaii. Yeah, that's groundbreaking. And University yeah, nice. of Hawaii has been involved in looking at all sorts of things. They looked at IMO versus compost and found that uh, well-made compost and IMO4 were on the same level. So this is cool to see them continuing, although it looks like different researchers, but still that same department continuing to show some amazing KNF results. What's the time? What's the time comparison there? Sure. So you think you could get to IMO4 before you could get to a finished good compost? Uh, they talk about methods, the different ones. Couldn't uh, see if I can find it. They talk about making IMO in here. Um, That's a good question, though, Spartan. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, comparing how long, like, the Dr. Elaine method takes side by side with Chris's IMO4 method. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they're equal, then I just want to know which one's faster. <laughs> Well, the IMO4 certainly would be faster than, you know, waiting a year or two for your soil to build up. Um, yeah, that's quite a bit no, faster. No, I was saying by composting, like with aeration, you know what I mean? If I could make a compost that's as good as an IMO4, but I could make the compost, is it possible for me to make a compost as good as an IMO4 faster than it is to make an IMO4, is what I was asking. That's an interesting question. I think we should ask Chris that. <laughs> uh, during the conference, that would be a good one. Uh, that's definitely an interesting question that uh, I certainly have never thought of before in terms of just speed of production. Uh, certainly at a commercial scale, I mean, one would think that uh, it'd be a lot faster to get to the IMO4 because it would take you a couple of weeks, but or a few weeks, but you could, you know, that's not that long compared to compost timelines, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're looking at months and months. Versus, uh, you know, probably one to two months with the uh, IMO4, uh, depending on what your temperatures are. Yeah, minimum a month. There's some IMO4. ways you can really speed up the compost process, too, though. I mean, there's some oh, yeah, I, operations with tumblers and shit. And if you're in the tropics, too, like in Jamaica, we used to uh, black bag it. So we had these yeah, big, thick black bags. Like, like they were like contractor bags, but you could use them over and over and we put all the material in there and we get it real wet and we'd sprinkle in a little bit of um, uh, like milk, uh, like goat's milk curds is what we had access to. So we'd sprinkle a little bit of that in to kind of oh, seed it like and a little bit nice. of just fluff from the yard for the IMO and put that shit in there and let that heat up for like 35, 45 days. And you'd have really nice black soil with like a few sticks left in it. It was really How hot good. Did that get? Does it ever catch fire? Or did it never get that hot? No, never got fire, but the, the sun would definitely heat it up pretty good. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> <It is. laughs> 
but up in up in the hills like i got a chance to go up and spend some time in white white oh, above white house uh, up in the hills in, in westmoreland and um uh, they do a lot of stuff with like um fermented uh fruit skins they'll take like all the different mango fruits and sweet sop, sour sop, all the other stuff that they're eating. And they'll mix that with like goat and cow milk and then ferment that sometimes even with a couple of other organic inputs and ferment that for 30 days or so uh, and use that as a regular, um, uh, you know, heavily nutrient, uh, local nutrient input uh, for their stuff because they can make it on site. They usually keep one or two cows and goats to keep the clearing and keep the jungle from growing up away from the plants that they stake out and just move every couple of hours up and down around the outside of the patch. And then uh, they'll grow a couple of palms. Actually, I have some videos of that, but they'll grow a couple of palms and stuff in the middle for tying. They'll take the palm leaves and use it for tying up the bundles and stuff like that. So, uh, and then they'll also grow some squash and stuff to regenerate the soil uh, and, and provide some different mycorrhizae. Well, they, they don't understand it that way, but they know that it benefits the soil. So they'll, they'll rotate various spots where they'll put a little rock mound and then they'll put their squash in the middle and kind of train that up and then down around through the rows so that they can have their squash and stuff to eat, you know, while they're up there. That's awesome. I love using, well, for me outside, I collect the leaves and, and compost those, but I think anything from the trees is like, that's money because those are the, got the deepest roots and they're mining, you know, all the minerals. And so I, I'm a big fan, like you said, they're using the fruits, the, the rinds and shit. I love that. You know, and big fan of worm bins too. You know, to process a lot of that stuff. I can process stuff pretty quick. I wonder about that. I wonder if I could. I wonder if worm castings. How how are they compared? Where are they compared down the IMO list? I don't know, but I know that adding IMO to worm castings is amazing. I uh, can't oh, I give you it. any studies on that, but I can tell you like my experience and some people I've turned on to's experience is stellar with that. I imagine it would be. I've I've noticed that uh, I use fruiting blocks, spent fruiting blocks, and I love to put that in the um, for the worms, and they fucking love that. And that seems to like I don't know. Give me maybe it's just my own, maybe it's in my head, but it seems like it's more of a fluffier tilt to the to the casting like it's not as dense which i like i don't it's usually casting you know i don't like my castings to be dense and heavy who would probably know that one so i'll have to ask him when i see him um yeah about i know that guy. they'll duplicate the mycorrhizae in worm bins so they might do well certain like glomus interatuses has been found to uh actually be in higher counts in propagules after going through a worm bin than the same material, uh, same like root material, I believe it is like a, a medium that has root in it of soil. And uh, that wow. has a certain amount, right? And then it's put through the worm bin and it has a higher propagule count of, of that uh, mycorrhizae. And I wonder if the same would be true for a lot of these other uh, ones that we are seeing there on KNF study just then it makes sense if it did i mean you'd think that it would follow man i am so i gotta get off here guys I, it's almost 12 30 in the morning here <laughs> and i gotta be at work in the morning so uh 
and Here's I'm already Bertie. pretty pretty fully into my RSO uh, half of an eye open slumber. <laughs> so <laughs> it was awesome hanging with you guys, though, man. And I just I just love to be able to go and share my excitement from uh, my happenings at the Capitol today and everything. Right. So uh, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for all of your hard work and fighting the good fight and teaching other people how to do it too. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you rock, Spartan. <laughs> Keep up the good work. Keep growing, guys. Keep growing. That's how we win. <laughs> what about uh? Are you being you got a garden going, uh, Caleb? What are you growing these days? Yeah, always got a garden going. Uh, so I harvested all the outdoor cannabis um, and most of the rest of the farmstead pretty much had summer crops and you know fall harvest crops and then um, I was surprised that the <clears throat> excuse me the purple landkeeper tomatillos which I believe are an open source seed initiative protected variety they uh, kicked ass they are still flowering, uh, even though it's been hitting frost sometimes here. Uh, they're still putting out flowers and still maturing. I've taken four flushes off of them of just these stellar, delicious tomatillos that have this deep purple blush on some of them. Great anthracyanin source. Uh, and so I know that they'll be self-seeding because a lot of them got away from me. They actually exploded so much that they started taking over the roses and uh, yeah, I, I do a lot of like polyculture style for uh, a lot of this farmstead. It was a farmstead before, um, and then it had some dormancy and then I, I've taken it over and uh, been integrating more polyculture style. So also a, a first year fugal bed that, uh, you know, had minimal success because the nitrogen suck of a first year fugal bed is hard to overcome which I expected, um, mostly put some test crops in there. Uh, and even with like heavy supplementation on the nitrogen, uh, the corn did not do so well. Uh, but uh, some of the other stuff in there did great, leeks and broccoli. Um, so yeah, been planting, you know, winter crops and then uh, always got the grow room going uh, and always got, you know, cannabis all over it as much as I can. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about also pheno hunting, pheno hunting, some overflow OG crossed with, uh, Thai, uh, from red Thai from ACE seeds crossed with Indian Assam hash plant from a resin. And so I made that cross, uh, and I've been pheno hunting it and yeah, that's been a lot of fun, but, uh, you know, pheno hunting, uh, always comes with like space restrictions and uh you know it's own it's own trickiness when you're first setting off on the race and you don't have professional facilities so uh yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun but it's also a lot of work keep having to rearrange the whole space and go in uh i live by the abcs of breeding always be culling so i uh, got that from my other plant breeding experience outside of cannabis and that's uh stays really good because then you can actually pull through the numbers you have to to find the winners always be brutal uncompromising in your selection sorry i scrolled too fast um 
just to answer that uh, question on the worms, I actually found this. So this is the worm species that they tested. Uh, if you're wondering the exact worm species uh, that this was taken with, um, this is the list of them here uh, and what soil horizon that they occupy normally. Uh, and then if you scroll down, and I'll link this paper in the description as well. Um, you can see they have Pseudomotus uh, oxalotictus, which, um, you know, a uh, whole bunch of others, uh, as well as B. megatherium, uh, Pectillus pamilus, Pectillus subtilis, um, you know, a bunch of other beneficials uh, that were found in the worm castings themselves um, from those species. So if you're kind of answers that question, I guess, uh, or at least at least one paper on it. Yeah, this points towards the convergence of living soil and dual root zone and these various forms were feeling this convergence of techniques, you know, be it KNF or be it inoculating with uh, certain cultured microbes or be that, you know, worm composting or Elaine Ingram composting or, you know, the convergence is, is becoming so powerful right now in that style. Oh yeah. Um, uh, any other uh, stuff that you got going on, Caleb? As far as uh, any other things that you're working on or want to talk to us about uh, tonight? Uh, no, I mean I'm pretty much hard at work trying to get the copyleft stuff done, and you know I could riff on that for for probably days on end. Uh, I, I tend to be continually engaged with that. You know I'm still pursuing my uh, Ethnobanian legal studies degree and uh, continuing on with that. So deep in classes and then always continuing in the garden, surrounding myself with the plants. And uh, <clears throat> I've been trying out various, you know, dual root zone systems and uh, sub-irrigated planters and trying to find the medium between those two, trying to find where uh, as a technology, where's like that fine line where one becomes the other and can I tease in to that a little bit. So that's been something I've been playing around with, but you know, uh, if I have a major breakthrough, you guys and the community will of course be the first to know. What about, what about you, Fumi? Uh, anything else exciting going on in your garden or anything? I mean, uh, tons of exciting things, honestly, but uh, not so much that I'm willing to share just yet, but uh, look forward to nice flavors, I would say. Like look forward to cool shit, colors, how, and cool shit, and flavors. How often are you seeing um, the anthocyanin expression in the trichome stalks and heads? Because I, I, you have some really cool uh, uh, examples of that, Thank and you. I was kind of curious to see how common that is um, with some. Pretty common. Uh, pretty common. Uh, uh, Morgana, Black Prince Ruby. Uh, it's uh, it's definitely one of these kinds of things, at least in the stuff that I'm working on, for sure, a recessive trait, but it looks like I have at least in these kinds of rounds uh, nailed it in because, for example, I'm about to smoke a joint of Thousand One Nights. I would have told you before I popped any of the seeds, I would have said, you know what, I'm going to be willing to bet that that's the one that has all the perps. So far, to my knowledge, no one's per pulled down any perps. Like I haven't seen any, like none of the testers. I haven't pulled down any perps uh, from Thousand One Nights. Whereas Black Prince Ruby, 
I've pulled out basically nothing but colors from that one and you know trichoma stocks that have all kinds of beautiful colors and the leaves themselves and everything else it's very interesting how that stuff works at least i'm fascinated with it oh yeah yeah no i i you have some beautiful pictures on your site so i just thought uh thought i'd ask you that because it's not a, a trait that's very common uh interesting point uh it's it's been actually really easy for me to find uh pictures to take because it, it actually has been common i'm not bragging or anything else but morgana black prince ruby uh the ruby jack the mom of black prince ruby uh or i should say the thousand one nights super easy to find uh nice pink purple uh trichomes trichome heads and stuff uh the heads actually less so i haven't found too many uh colored heads and actually i'm looking for that now but the stocks has been pretty easy is that something that you select for? Or is that something that you're just fortuitously finding blossoming? Honestly, your- yeah, well, a little bit of both. I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for pretty flowers. You know what I mean? Like it's a, they go hand in hand. The whole experience, I think, is a little bit like a tea ritual and everything else, right? So if you can find, I mean, I always say that the you, you like to hate it or love to hate it or whatever, the green ones oftentimes are the most flavorful ar- aromatic phenotypes. But, you know, when you can find one that is, gorgeous and purple and whatever else doesn't have to be purple but you know purple with let's say orange you know pistol dried pistols and everything else man that looks so good when you break it apart and it smells so good like the whole experience is heightened so i'm i I can't help but for i can't help but to select for that kind of stuff you know like this this flower right here that's one of the most temperamental morganas but i cannot help it i still have her i'm still going to breed with her i'm still going to work on it because the flavors are so unique the colors are so unique like I can't help it. You know what I mean? There's other ones too, but this one, I'm a sucker for it. You know, so I know what you mean. Always be calling, but dude, sometimes you got to keep something. Awesome. Well, um, I guess we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the show unless anybody else has any other questions in chat or anybody else has anything else they want to talk about. Um, uh, how Fumi, how can people find you? Um, uh, they can easily go take a look at uh, fumidoro.com. That's my website. They could email me at fumidor, no O at the end of it, but fumidor at chronictable.com. So fumidor is sort of my name. The, the website is fumidoro. Uh, they could also check out the Discord. Basically, I just put the link. Maybe I'll put the link again here in the chat. Uh, we've got our own uh, fumidoro Discord uh, uh, now too for a week. We can have some of that. So we're having fun there. So thanks. Go take a look. Awesome. And uh, what do you, you know your next show is on uh, Saturday? It'll be Saturday, man. Uh, Brews and Buds. That's the one. We like to, uh, uh, I mean, honestly, we frankly just have a fun discussion, but I like to try to be all high minded and say, we're going to talk about microbrews and buds and blah, blah, blah. We end up usually just having fun discussions when Soulshine comes on or Potent, whoever, Coot or whatever. But the intention is good that we're going to, you know, talk about microbrews and shit. Yeah, it's kind of like hanging out at a bar with a bunch of growers. It's fun. It's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah, about- I love it. I love the atmosphere. It's Cheers, the pub it. atmosphere, but virtualized, you yeah. know. And I've heard it called by many the most interactive show in cannabis. So, you know, I think that there's something to that atmosphere. People who aren't watching it, you know, get keen on that. Right on. Thank you so we much. You've been playing games with the audience. So that was that's it. These uh, every Wednesday now we're doing basically like some. Well, we tried yesterday, but the server was not working. Uh, we're trying to do like game nights and stuff. So actually, yeah, we're having fun. Yeah, Trivia, we, did stuff like that. we did a whole Cards Against Humanity thing with the right. with the audience and stuff. That was a blast. That was a trip. Yep. 
And then, Wes uh, Engine mopped the floor with people on uh, trivia. Oh, yeah. What about you, Caleb? Uh, how can people find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, so if people want to follow me personally, I am Soulshine Growing on Instagram, SOL Shine Growing. And uh, if people would like to follow the project, which I would really love the support as well as I think that uh, we can provide some great educational material at Copyleft Cultivars on Instagram and at Copyleft Cannabis on Instagram. We made sure and grabbed both of those. And then uh, also you can run on over to our website, copyleftcannabis.com or copyleftcannabis.org. We also have copyleftcultivars.org. Also made sure and grab both of those. And then people want to get involved, uh, the Discord link I'll post up in the chat. And then also it's on the website. We have uh, my art, which is uh, largely fractals of the probiotically grown or uh, grown with living soil cannabis that uh, is fractalized and all sales of that art or apparel of that art, which again is uh, linked to the website, goes to support the cause. And uh, so we really appreciate the support there. Our GoFundMe is also on there. And uh, yeah, people can email me also uh, for the project at copyleftcannabis at gmail.com. So go ahead and shoot me an email. I would also love to explain the project to anybody. And uh, if anybody would like uh, as well, there happens to so be a very excellent presentation uh, at a very excellent conference coming up here on November 13th. And I believe you can look right there for this conference. If you have something that you want to learn, you can come ask any of these people. We're going to have some Q&As, but also I'll be speaking at 3 p.m. there on the first day, November 13th, more about this Copyleft Cultivars project. And uh, everyone else there is just stunning. We have such an amazing, like, I'm speechless, such an amazing lineup here. So uh, don't miss it for sure. Jump in and uh, we'd love to have you ask your questions there as well. Awesome. You hear that? Yeah. Uh, St. Bernard's going to donate some of his killer uh, tie-dyes for uh, the auction for Caleb. I've got one of those tie-dyes. They're badass. Yeah, those are really cool. Hey, thank you so much. I really appreciate the support, St. Bernard. It means a lot. And uh, love your art as well. Those tie-dyes are killer. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, St. Bernard. Um, also, uh, we have, um, the sec- like you were saying, the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Um, it, it, oh, wait, hold on. I broke the sharing when I dragged it from screen to screen. I forgot if you drag it from one screen to the other, it breaks it. Uh, the second annual virtual aquaponic cannabis conference. Uh, I'll be speak- kicking the event off at 8 a.m. on the 13th uh, of November. Uh, and these times are all Pacific time, so uh, adjust accordingly. If you're on the East Coast, uh, you're going to be up late. I'm sorry, <laughs> but it is what it is. The, the, to be honest with you, we have a lot more uh, viewers on the West Coast for the live stuff, so we try, try to balance it more towards the, the left half of the country a little bit. But uh, um, and then we're going to close it out with Marty at the end. And uh, we have Sweetwater Aquaponics from South Africa. We have Symbiosid from Switzerland. We have Aquilitas from Canada. We have Dragonfly Earth Medicine, who's from Canada and Portland, and uh, you know they're they're fucking awesome. 
Um, Thumb Genetics from Michigan, uh, Lorenzo Frisella from London. Uh, we have Caleb, Copy Left Cultivars. Uh, we have uh, Chris Trump uh, talking to us about KNF and aquaponics. A lot of people that don't know, he originally started off just like Josh Rutherford before doing all the rest of the stuff with aquaponic uh, vegetable production um, before moving, doing the rest. So, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize a lot of our industry really is intertwined. Um, Mark uh, Bubble Man's first hash he made with bubble bags was made with aquaponic weed grown by Breeder Steve, uh, which is uh, really funny. So, um, we have Heavy Days from Australia moderating the commercial cultivation panel. We have a bunch of commercial producers uh, from around the world that are going to be participating in that, talking about their challenges and, and design ideas and different things for commercial production. Dr. Wilson Leonard, one of the leading uh, aquaponic experts from Australia. Uh, Dylan McAmmond, who has a wonderful craft-grown, uh, craft-scale uh, uh, facilities currently expanding in Saskatchewan, uh, Canada. Uh, Wendy Kornberg, Korean natural farming expert uh, and living soil expert. Um, Matthew Gates, speaking on insects. Uh, and then we kick off day two with Breeder Steve, who's coming to us live from Spain, uh, which will be awesome. Uh, that's why we, we had to get him in early in the day, because <laughs> it's quite the time difference. Uh, and then uh, Angela Tenenbrock talking to us about biosecurity and uh, how to best uh, keep bugs out of your grow to begin with uh, and stay compliant with uh, the ever-changing, uh, you know, regulatory structure that we have with our facilities these days. Uh, Victor Labanov talking to us about all kinds of cool science from Sweden uh, on advanced aquaponic stuff, uh, topics uh, around chemistry. Uh, Joe Pate talking to us about kelp and some other interesting uh, uh, aquaponic chemistry things as well. Uh, they do a lot of work together. Uh, they do a lot of sap testing and other things together too with vegetables. So uh, they, they know quite a bit down that realm. Tanner Stewart coming to us from Canada, another commercial aquaponic cannabis producer, also does living soil. Uh, Dutch Blooms, who has one of the nicest living soil and aquaponic hybrid farms that's out there. Kevin McKernan talked to us about the genetics uh, and biodiversity of soil based on genetic sampling. Um, so I'll give a, a really good talk about that type of uh, thing and what's going on in, your, in the root system of your plants. Uh, Rob Nash from Austin Aquaponics talking to us about growing hemp in Texas uh, with aquaponics. Uh, Clack and Miscoot talking to us about the soil side of things and our dual root zone pots and other uh, soil applications. Um, Dr. Robert Faust talking to us about humic and fulvic acids. He's one of the probably the single most knowledgeable person in the United States on those two topics. Um, uh, uh, Murray Holland uh, coming to us from Australia uh, and then the uh, homegrown panel with Scotty Reel as the moderator, craft-grown uh, panel with Jordan River uh, uh, from the Growcast and then Marty Waddell closing us out and then we'll have a little surprise for you guys at the end. Um, so um, yeah, thanks everybody. I think you guys will like it a lot. Uh, you can watch it on your phone, your tablet, your TV, uh, your smart fridge, whatever it is that you can load YouTube on. Uh, and it's all for free. You guys can check it out all weekend. And uh, we'll have some giveaways of different stuff over the weekend. We'll have some other stuff sprinkled in there. So, um, you know, come check it out. I think you guys will have a good time. And uh, it all will be recorded as well. Um, uh, we'll I'll leave the full stream up if you want to listen to the whole thing in the 14-hour blocks. And then I'll do like last year, I'll edit them down and do little intros and stuff for each of the speakers and 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 make sure that they get the representation links so everyone can find them afterwards and stuff like that in the, in the, in the shortened videos as well. Because a lot of people just want to hear one-hour talks and stuff like that, and that's perfectly fine. Um, it just takes me a little bit of time to edit it down. Uh, as anyone that does a lot of video editing knows, that shit takes time. <laughs>
but uh, yeah, I'm just super stoked to be able to, to put this together and uh, that so many people were willing to, to donate their time the same way and, uh, and get some stuff out and kind of help breathe some life back into the community that's kind of had a bit of a rough year this year uh, all around between water restrictions and, you know, just the prices in the market being not quite what they were used to. It's been rough for a lot of people, so. Alrighty, well, thanks everybody for watching. You can catch us again uh, next week. We'll have Josh Rutherford speaking to us about his new uh, products and some of the other awesome work that he's been doing up at his farm. And then next weekend we'll have the aquaponic uh, cannabis conference. Uh, I'll also be up at the, um, uh, there's a, 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 I forget the name of it. Uh, uh, Brendan Rust is speaking at, I believe at noon uh, at the uh, conference on Friday. Uh, the, uh, the one it's at Rosenthal or whatever is throwing in Oklahoma city. So uh, definitely check out our friend uh, Brendan over there uh, speaking at that conference. I know I'll be there. And then uh, anybody that's coming out, we'll be up at the Cowboy Cup too. So if you guys want to come up and uh, see me, uh, I'll bring some beans, I'll bring some goodies, and we'll have a good time. I know there's a bunch of other Dude Grows crew that are going to be up there. Scotty and Dude will be there. So uh, Dude's coming down from Canada. So uh, certainly be a good time if you're in Oklahoma, come down and hang out. So thanks everybody for watching. You can find us on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, however the fuck you want to listen or watch me too.